Len Dobbin first began broadcasting on Radio McGill in 1962, long before the station was even on the FM dial. In 1996, he returned to Radio CKUT at McGill to host a Wednesday morning jazz program. For almost a decade now, Len has presented Dobbin's Den on Sundays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., bringing listeners of jazz French to delight the senses. I'm Len Dobbin. You're listening to uh, Dobbin's Den, CKUT 90.3 FM. It's uh, community radio in Montreal, Canada. This year, Len has been nominated for three National Jazz Awards as Broadcaster of the Year, Journalist of the Year, and Jazz Photographer of the Year. You can vote for Len Dobbin by visiting www.nationaljazzawards.com. In April, CKUT's programming committee celebrates Len Dobbin's contributions to community radio. Congratulations, Len! Tune in to Dobbin's Den this Sunday for a special commemorative edition hosted by Mike Chamberlain, featuring other CKUT programmers, friends, and Len's favorite music. Len Dobbin, a beloved member of the CKUT family, passed away Thursday, July 9. CKUT is deeply saddened by this loss and send our warm wishes and sympathies to Len's family, friends, and fans. That's this Sunday, July 12th, beginning at 11 a.m., a special commemorative edition of Dobbin's Den.
Hi, Andy. Um, a big welcome to edition number 737 of uh, Dobbin Sedan. I'm Len Dobbin, your host through 1 o'clock, and you are tuned to CKUT 90.3 FM Community Radio in downtown Montreal. On cable, it's 91.7 FM, and we're on the web at www.ckut.ca, where we are also archived. Good morning, and welcome to the memorial edition of Dobbin's Den. As you probably know by now, Len Dobbin, broadcaster, writer, photographer, archivist, researcher, raconteur, and most of all, friend to jazz, left us this week to join his friends in jazz heaven, taken by a stroke while sitting in his favorite chair at upstairs. In honor of Len's memory and his many years of dedication to the jazz community, we devote the next five hours of radio here at CKUT. My name is Mike Chamberlain, and it is my great honor and privilege to host this final broadcast of Dobbin's Den. Between now and 4 p.m., I will be joined by a few of Len's many, many friends in the jazz community who will share stories and memories of Len Dobbin. And, of course, we will play a lot of great music. Um, I'm joined uh, for, I think, the whole broadcast today. I'm hoping by uh, Drew Duncan. And uh, Drew, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, from 1991 to 1995, I uh, had this time slot uh, with the B train uh, from 11 till 1. And uh, then George Evans followed for uh, a couple of years. And then uh, Len took over, I think, in 1997. Anyway, 736 um, broadcasts and plus this one here today, uh, for which uh, Drew, who's a very good friend of Len's, uh, managed to find the... uh, the set list and, and Len's uh, box of uh, CDs for the show. Uh, in, uh, we're really happy that uh, Len was as organized as he is. And Drew, thank you very, very much for coming. Oh, you're here. welcome. Um, given that I knew the lay of the land at Len's place, which was not easy, <laughs> you wouldn't want to have to map it. Um, I knew that he kept the show to his left, and it was the most important box amongst all of his affairs. And that he usually had uh, some sort of document already developed that. Uh, would talk about what he wanted to say about the tunes and just a general overview of each track and the reason he was using them uh, and what he was playing and what he was excited about. So um, I did go over and uh, met with his daughter yesterday, and uh, we have the entire show. So we have all the music that Len would have uh, wanted our listeners today to um, hear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't necessarily have all of the uh, the script in terms of. Uh, we couldn't do it justice. No, I don't no, think. No. And and and, it, and you know we'll we'll do our best. And uh, like I said, we've got a, a number of people coming in, uh, broadcasters, uh, uh, people friends. who current yeah current and former people from CKUT friends. Um, and uh, musicians and, and right. so on. I and, think Andy uh, Williams might be coming by to do a set later. We do thank the uh, people that are giving up their time slots for the special edition of Dobbin's Den. Absolutely, and 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 uh, I want to you know before we get started, say uh, you know big thanks to Chris Hand, uh, Absolutely. who's really gone overboard in 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 preparing for the show. We've got some air checks of lands, uh, introing uh, certain segments and. Uh, uh, we're not necessarily going to recreate a Len Dobbin, Dobbin's Den broadcast because Len was one of a kind and you can't really do that. But we're going to try to uh, honor his memory uh, as, as much as we can uh, today. Uh, also, I, I, I re- would be remiss without uh, 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 thanking uh, A.J. Cornell uh, for uh, our music director here at CKUT for uh, uh, setting things up for us and uh, providing coffee and uh, and sustenance. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I want to come back and do a show here. I want- <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, is that a new waiver that you sign? You know? And <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, this no this, black jelly beans though. <laughs> this, this brings back so many memories to be here today, and and uh, that of uh, I, 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 how many Sundays, how many Sundays from eleven till one did I sit in here doing the B train, and then and then and then uh, ear of the beholder would uh, yeah would no, would come funny. on uh, with Drew, and I mean, is uh, you know really really good memories those. Sunday you know, was a Sunday was a special programming day, and uh, it's very um, fitting that Len had this slot. I think it's one of the nicest time slots amongst the whole week. Oh uh, well, there I know I've always felt that time. way. Yeah. yeah, and and we're able to sit back and really take in what you had to offer. It wasn't um, sort of the fleeting or uh, ephemeral listening we do during the week, where we're kind of doing it between tasks. It's like mm. I'm going to sit and listen to the radio and. You felt like people were at home listening with you, and uh, of course, I think Len had a huge amount of people listening to him. I think it was wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I'm holding back on talking about Len because there's so much to say that, it, and there's so many like it's it's already affecting me on my daily things. You know, like I'm missing him already. You know, there's there's always something I'm thinking, and gone is a very difficult concept to describe. I think. Um I, every once in a while, somebody will say something, or I'll hear a piece of music uh, in the last few days. That, um, I, and I just I, I think about Len, and and you know, I'm, I'm. It's funny because I'm happy for Len. I I only know Len in the last 13 years, and that's that's after he quit drinking. And and Len uh, would say on a regular basis that. You know, he was grateful for for what had happened to him, and and the last time I saw him was on Monday evening, and and afterwards uh, we were in this conversation. Afterwards, I was talking to somebody, and I said, you know, um, Len has had a you know a great winter of his life. The last ten years were full of joy and full of uh, you know love, and and uh, and and he was in a situation where he could give back as well, and he gave so so much to all of us. Tremendous empathy, great listener, and um, a lover of people. He really and. He, he said that many a time that he felt very uh, blessed and privileged to be doing what he was doing now. And uh, he genuinely happy, and that's beautiful. I mean, I don't know how many of us can say that for ourselves. No, and, and for him to go the way he did, sitting it upstairs... Around midnight. Uh, yeah, well, he, he. I think. I think he was taken. Uh, the 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 his stroke happened around eight thirty or something before the 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 show on 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 Wednesday evening. Uh, but to be sitting there in his favorite chair upstairs, Absolutely. I think they're probably making a nameplate right now as we speak. Yeah. Um, and uh, for him to uh, have been surrounded by people that he knew and loved, and. For Joel Gibrovich at upstairs to have been the one who accompanied him in the ambulance to the hospital, um, I, I'm sure it would have meant you know quite a bit to Len, and I, it yeah. means a lot to me to know that he was that Joel was there with him, and 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 uh, and then and then um, for the people, I'm, I'm I'm sort of somewhat aware of the circumstances, but but that uh, uh, they were able uh, at the hospital uh, to wait until. Uh, his daughters, uh, uh, Dorothy Behrman, Monique Futu, uh, and, and a couple of others were there uh, to say their last goodbye to Len. And, and he went at 1.30 on Thursday morning. And, and when I'd heard uh, that, that he'd gone to the hospital, I had kind of a bad feeling about it. And I woke up Thursday morning and was informed. And um, it's just, it's, it's you, you, you're sad because you're going to miss the person. The finality of death, you know, he's gone. But uh, you know, so many great memories, and that's that's what I want to take. That's what I want to take. Um, I think we should um, maybe if we could get to some music yeah. and um, 
Mike Regenstreif is here, uh, also a former broadca- broadcaster from CKUT, and um, he's going to um, tell us about a record that uh, Len introduced him to way back when. And uh, these are the type of thoughts that I really uh, want to mine and get a hold of today because um, I think we wax poetic best about those sort of things. Do you want to intro this um, next track? Yeah, we, we got, we're going to play uh, two tracks. First is the Dutch Radio Orchestra uh, playing uh, from an album called Moon Dreams. Uh, playing playing uh, arrangements of uh, uh, songs by Gil Evans and Jerry Mulligan and uh, the first the track we're going to hear is Used at the Roost and then uh, out of that we're going to play uh, a song by the Monterey Quartet also playing Rediscovered Music uh, or sorry also Chris is handing me the, the other thing okay the Monterey Live Quartet radio. I'm sorry with uh, Dave Holland sorry Gonzalo Rubalcaba Chris Potter and Eric Holland uh, from live at the 2007 Monterey Jazz Festival and uh, they're going to play uh, Treachery um, so, so Dutch Radio is up first Dutch Radio with Used at the Roost Very.
That's the Monterey Quartet featuring tenor saxophonist Chris Potter there from Live at Monterey 2007. Uh, track Treachery, Dave Holland on bass, Gonzalo Rubalcaba on piano, Eric Harland on drums, and of course Chris Potter on tenor saxophone. Before that, we heard the Dutch Radio Orchestra from their album Moon Dreams, Rediscovered Music of Gil Evans and Jerry Mulligan. Uh, that was a Jerry Mulligan composition from the late 1940s called Used at the Roost, featuring uh, Morris Kliphuis on French horn. And uh, it is 11.25 here in Montreal. You're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM. And uh, my name is Mike Chamberlain. We're doing Dobbin's Den, the final broadcast, the memorial broadcast for Len Dobbin, and uh, with uh, Drew Duncan and others in the studio. Drew? Uh, just I hadn't heard the Monterey Quartet before, and uh, I, that's terribly urgent sax playing by Chris Potter, but also, um, in my mind, um, shows the uh, breadth of music that Len was able to listen to. He had incredibly big ears, and um, people used to say this about my shows, and I was like, if I didn't like what I heard about when I was playing now, I'd always like something like 10 minutes later, and I think... Len has that too like sometimes you're not into what he's playing now but like later on he just blows you away with another tune and he it's always surprising me mm. and um, I, I like the dynamic quality of this you know it's it's like moving forward in the, the vein of let's say I don't know Mingus and stuff it's it's urgent it's completely fueled and um, just wonderful to listen to and yet he can play a straight you know listen to a straight ballad or something uh, very kind of traditional right. so a really big cross section of music do you want to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll answer it in a minute after I uh, introduce uh, our, our, our next guest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, our next guest, Mike Regenstreif, uh, host of uh, Folk Roots, Folk Branches. Uh, we were talking about it from 1994, you said? To yeah, beginning of February 94 through the end of August 2007. All right, uh, on Thursday mornings from 9 to 11. And, but you, you were saying that uh, didn't we all start off on Wednesdays <laughs> at some point? Well, I started on Thursdays. Okay, all right, you did. Uh, but you you knew Len for quite a long time. I knew Len. I'm, I don't remember meeting Len Dobbin. He was just somebody that I always knew. An enigma. Yeah. <laughs> um, I started hanging out on the music scene in Montreal uh, around 1970 as a f uh, 15 or 16-year-old. And Len, you know, anytime I'd go near the jazz scene, Len would always be there, even in those years. And... Of course, his history goes back decades. Yeah, he'd been decades. around for 30 years before that. Yeah. Well, not quite. Well, but, yeah. uh, Len, is, Len was like almost 20 years older than me. Right. And so that's, he started you know, probably around the same time in his era that I did, probably around 15 years old. Mm -hmm. um, but Len was just somebody that was, seemed to always be around and seemed to know everybody. And if you got involved in the music scene, you knew Len Dobbin. You'd eventually encounter him. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I just... I have absolutely no memory of meeting him, but I know that um, at some point in the late 70s, I brought David Amram to Montreal for a concert, uh, and Len called me up and said that he was an old friend of David's and uh, wanted to you know, know the logistics so they could come and hang out. And at that time, you know, Len was somebody that I already knew for some years before that, so it, it's at least 30-plus years that I've, know, that I've known Len. Um, during during the time that he was doing his CJFM show, uh, at one point, I think it was 1982, 
um, I was bringing Odetta to come and play at the Golem, and it was going to be her first concert in Montreal since the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and after after I had announced the show, I got a phone call from Len and said, "Do you know about Odetta's jazz album?" And I said, "No." He said, "Well, list, listen to my show on Sunday night. You'll you'll be in for a surprise." <laughs> so Len, man. <laughs> So I listened to his show that Sunday night, as I usually did on Sunday nights anyway. Yeah. And uh, he played this uh, album by, uh, by Odetta from 1962 that she had recorded with a bunch of jazz musicians in San Francisco. Uh, the album was called Odetta and the Blues, and it was basically, you know, Bessie, type, Bessie Smith type songs with a, with a great jazz band. And uh, that was a side to Odetta that I that I never knew and when Odetta came to town Len was there of course and hanging out and having a having a great time mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, we started at CKU I started at CKUT at the beginning of 1994 and I think Len arrived here not long after that after um, his show at CJFM was cancelled so we were CKUT colleagues for my entire run here right and uh, um, Whenever we'd see each other, it would you know we'd sit and we'd chat and um, you know sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for two hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's yeah. that's what it was like with Len. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This record uh, crucial to you uh, for your meeting with Len, or well, kind of the pivotal album, or the one that he referred to on the broadcast. Well, yeah, this is this record. Um, Odetta was probably one of the greatest folk singers of the 20th century, one of the greatest blues singers of the 20th century. And this was a side to Odetta that I didn't know about. I knew her folk records. Um, you know, coming from essentially a folk music background, that's, that's what I was into. And uh, a lot of, it was not a record that I ever came across. And Len played the, on his show that, that night, and I tried, I tried to go out and find that record. It was out of print at the time. And then uh, a few years later, I guess it came out on CD. And it's good that you're here, Drew, because... I actually found that CD uh, in Cheap Thrills. <laughs> <laughs> People might remember that Drew worked for many years at Cheap Thrills. Well, that's actually an interesting um, kind of intro to one of the um, ideas that was brought across to me by uh, Jean Limburner. Uh, in that um, he's supposed to be here. I don't know if he's here yet or not, but he's going to be showing up. And the studio, we should just say we don't have. We're not on live television or anything. We don't have a TV broadcast, but the studio is filling up. Yeah, yeah. very quickly. And um, I observed this actually working in the record store in other instances, but often um, people's relationships, uh, of course, are established in these kind of fleeting encounters, let's say at a record store or library, where people are perusing a similar section, they start turning each other on to stuff, and before you know it, there's a movement. (laughs) And that's exactly what happened with John and Len. They met and... um, before they knew it, within a year or two, they were doing these. They were having these jam sessions down at Lindsay's piano uh, place. You could go and listen to jam uh, musicians jam for ten cents, and there was like three hundred members within a year, and it just exploded. So that kind of fleeting encounter, let's say at a record store or whatever, where you're sharing your ideas, and that was exactly what happened to Len and how a lot of these ideas developed. And that happens in all genres of music. I've seen it happen, you know, with other people that might have met at the store where I work. They just start sharing a common interest to music and they start bringing in shows or they'll put out a, a release or whatever and uh, it was wonderful and one can look at the uh, Eminon uh, as a 
precursor to what we see today as the Jazz Fest. I mean, um, without that happening or those that kind of propulsion that it had back then, where would jazz be now? I, I don't know. Um, Len carried it through the whole time, especially that's the thing. Like he was always there for jazz and promoting it, you know. But uh, I, you know, I don't know where things would be without those events having happened before. One of the things that I said on my blog uh, when I was writing about Len was that more than the jazz festival, more than any individual club, Len was the person who held the Montreal jazz scene together for decades and decades and decades yeah absolutely and uh in studio here uh, as people are starting to pour in we definitely have uh, people that have benefited from that um Altsy's big band members are here and um we're well promoted by len and uh i think there is a mutual love len loved that music and people really love len and so we're going to hear from uh, those people shortly but we'll get to your track uh, yeah Mike. just one more thing that i wanted to say um i i said uh, in response, I first heard of Len's passing from Mike through Facebook. Mm. And one of the things that I said in response was that I had learned a lot from Len over the years. Um, two things. I learned a lot about listen, appreciating jazz, which you know I think everybody shared. But one thing that I learned as a broadcaster was how to prepare for a radio program. Um, and I thought it was so important to, to, you know, to research what you're doing, to have a reason for every single track that you ever play to have a reason for playing that track and for playing it when you played it yeah and i learned that uh from len sounds like a great time of life Well, I didn't bring a 
Odetta with uh, Weeping Willow Blues from her album Odetta and the Blues. Recorded in 1962, we heard uh, Buck Clayton on trumpet, Vic Dickinson on trombone, Herb Hall on clarinet, Dick Wellstood on piano, Ahmed Abdul Malik on bass, and Shep Shepard on drums. Weeping Willow Blues with Odetta. If there is a sense to the death, he is dead in upstairs, which is his second house. He is dead in talking about music, he is dead in doing what he loved. Il n'a pas souffert. Donc, c'est tu ça, une belle mort, si ça peut exister, mais dans son cas, lui, je pense que oui. La veille, Kenny Warner, qui était ravi, disait, bon, évidemment, il est plus traditionnaliste que je peux l'être, mais quand il voyait des choses de même, ça le, ça le revigorait. Mais on dirait qu'il ne se rendait pas compte qu'il était rendu à 75 ans. Il voyait, il en faisait plus de spectacles que je peux en faire. Je pense que je suis en meilleure forme qui peut l'être. Là, tu regardes aller. Qu'est-ce qui te fait marcher? Mais à tous les ans, c'est la même chose, c'est la musique. Il y a tellement de, de choses, d'articles qu'il a écrits, de photos qu'il a pris, de disques qu'il a, de disques pratiquement personnels que les gens y ont donnés. Parce qu'ils connaissaient tout le monde. Tu nommais un musicien, puis il va te conter une anecdote qui est venue en 55, qui est venu en 60, qui a José avec. Puis bon, tu sais, tu parles avec Len, puis c'est comme tu dis un mot, puis il va te, t'en avais pour une demi-heure à te parler de ce musicien-là. Donc, c'est ça qui va nous manquer, je pense, à tous. On avait des questions de temps en temps. On allait voir Len, puis l'autre jour, c'est arrivé pour Mo Kaufman. Bon, tout de suite, c'est, oui, il est venu à telle année, il était avec C'est vraiment une mémoire vivante qu'on perd. C'est ça qui est triste. En plus d'être un, un mot du bon gars. <rire> Richard Terrien from La Presse, reminiscing about uh, Len and um, his passing. I um, last saw Len last Sunday, actually. I picked him up here after his show. Um, he needed his computer worked on, and that was one of my uh, tasks when I went over to Len's. Um, aside from talking about jazz, we would, I would help him out with the computer and you know manage some stuff for him. I picked him up here. We went back uh, to his place, and um, he just kept going with showing like showing me new things that he'd found and new cds that he'd gotten um some sublime things would happen to him he told me about uh, a cd that he'd heard about a couple of weeks ago and he says the thing arrived in the mail two weeks later and he didn't know how the guy found out about him and he was full of those kind of stories um and uh he just uh, there was a constant enthusiasm there would not be enough years left for him in any life to play all the music that he wanted to play, you know. Um, I uh, We finished at his place, and I drove him back down to the Jazz Fest where he would be going to catch about another two or three shows that evening. That was mm-hmm. Sunday. And um, I said, okay, well, I'll catch you, catch, you, catch you later during the weekend. He went off to do just what uh, Richard was talking about, was just going to all the shows and just drinking it all in. Yeah. I, yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're talking about, you know, always coming up with new things. New things were coming to him. And it would have been really easy for somebody who was around and helped to bring Charlie Parker to Montreal in 1952 to have been very jaded. Uh, but Len never was. And, and Absolutely. Uh, you know, he was always, uh, you know, looking for another musical experience that he hadn't had yet. And he, and, and he was... Uh, you, you know, you talk about his promoting the, the jazz scene and serving the music. And he was uh, always, 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 I think, very supportive of uh, jazz musicians in Montreal and young musicians coming up. And, and I think uh, our next guest, who I was just saying, uh, Len really liked going to funerals. <laughs> 
he would always if you saw him and he'd been to somebody's funeral he would tell you you know who was there and you know exchange some gossip and stuff like that and uh, so it's kind of I haven't talked and really seen Drew for a few years and 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 and, uh, and uh, Jennifer here who I actually share a birth date with March 22nd and birthdays were important to Len as well but it's uh, really nice to see Jennifer Bell from Altsitz Orchestra and of course all kinds of other stuff and thanks a lot for coming in and, well, and thanks for inviting me Mike it's a pleasure not a pleasure but it's uh, it's an honor actually to be here and to throw my 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 hat into the ring and my two cents into this beautiful tribute to Len. When you when you think of Len, what's the first thing you think of? Well, I I definitely think of his uh, his sense of humor. I think of his love of the hang. And you're mentioning funerals. I think probably maybe second or even even before funerals, he really liked the musician Hang, mm. which is probably one of the reasons why he had such a soft spot for big band music because he knew when when the big bands played, the Hang was always going to be good afterward just because of the numbers game. Yeah, so uh, we had many many great late night Hangs. Yeah. Um, I just wondered if you had a particular... Did he turn you on to any music? That's that's something I always like hearing about, how people found out about a specific music or an album that might be etched in their memory is something that he uh, got them into. You know, more than... I would say maybe even more important to me than turning me on to anything in particular was uh, he taught me that you always have to keep your mind and your ears open yeah. and that even when you come from the deepest roots of the tradition, which he did, you still have to be prepared and ready to check out new stuff. And I think that that's what I got from him, this idea that even though we have one foot firmly planted in the roots and the tradition of the music, that we have to always be looking forward. And so in that respect, whenever he suggested that I check something out, I always did, and I, I never never regretted it. And I really appreciated that in a man of his experience and his depth of knowledge. He was a ceaseless promoter of uh, McGill Big Band, I would say. Yeah, I mean... I would say young musicians generally and young uh, Montreal and Quebec musicians particularly, and I think that that was a really important gift that he gave us as well too, that with all the connections that he had around the world, he, he could have filled his hours simply promoting his famous <laughs> friends and colleagues and not even batting an eye to those of us who were coming up. And I'm speaking, you know, in the, in the early 80s and the early 90s when many of us were just starting to make small names for ourselves and yet he you know when a local group put out a record you were guaranteed that Len was going to review it and I'm afraid that we couldn't say that about a lot of the other reviewers and a lot of the other press in the city but we knew that it was almost 100% that he would take the time to listen to it and that he would and that he would review our music and that was very it was comforting and it was also uh, very supportive of us wonderful we going to listen to a track from your record? Yeah, maybe I can just uh, set it up a bit. Absolutely. This is, um, this is from uh, the first release that we did with Altus in 95. And several, many of the musicians have, have, have moved on to other places, uh, notably uh, the drummer on this track, Dave Robbins, the soloist, Colin Biggin, who was a really dear friend to Len, great Barry player, and uh, the composer, Bill Kuhn, who is, uh, as you probably know now, settled in, in Vancouver. And I know these are all musicians that, that loved Len and that are feeling the... The pain that we're all feeling now, and that we love to pay. Musicians, I still haven't thought about who knew Len. Like it just well, you know, this stops. is the interesting thing is that yeah. there's there have been so many musicians that have spent formative years here in Montreal and then moved on to other places. But to the one, you know, there's nobody that, that could have spent more than six months here that wouldn't have been uh, in contact and, and touched by Len. So these musicians are not just all over Canada, but they're they're all over the world now. So oh, it's not just us. <laughs> What track are we going to listen to? We're going to listen to a Bill Coon composition entitled Esprit de Corps. 
as today. Um As today, uh, Montreal is St. Patrick's Day Parade Day. Uh, I thought it appropriate that we have a couple of sets of uh, music that uh, was influenced at least by uh, the Emerald Isle. And on that set, we heard um, material from uh, uh, a Broadway show written by Burton Lane and uh, Yip Harburg called Finian's Rainbow. It's also made into a movie. We started with How Are Things in Glockamora, first by Sonny Rollins and then by the combination of Roberta Gambarini and Hank Jones. And then from the same show, Paul Motion's Quartet with Joe Lovano, Bill Frizzell, and Charlie Hayden doing Look to the Rainbow. And then from the early 60s, Johnny Griffin and Barry Harris with The Curie Dancers. And finally, Ireland's National Anthem from a new CD of anthems recorded by uh, Gary Dial, who plays piano, and vocalist Terry Roche, I guess, uh, yeah, Roche, I guess it is. Uh, it looks like Roche, but uh, it's probably Irish. And the alto on that one was Dick Oates. And uh, this is uh, Dobbin's Den. I'm Len Dobbin. And this is CKUT 90.3 FM. That's Community Radio in downtown Montreal. The uh, National Jazz Awards are coming up in Toronto. Uh, in earlier years, they basically, if you didn't live in Toronto, you weren't uh, even nominated. And uh, that's gotten a little better. And, um, of course, uh, Internet radio helps a bit because uh, we get to be heard beyond Montreal. And I'm very pleased to say that uh, I have been nominated in not one but three uh, com uh, categories, uh, broadcasting, uh, journalism, and photography. So that's uh, another uh, first. And uh, to vote, uh, I think it's just uh, if you Google National Jazz Awards, and uh, then you'll find the, the voting booth. It's a big, big red uh, block that says uh, voting, voting booth or vote here or something like that. Anyway, uh, getting back to music, Jed Levy is um, an outstanding uh, musician and uh, an underappreciated one. Many moons ago, he came to Montreal on a couple of occasions, and more recently I caught him subbing for Ralph LaLama in the Vanguard Band in New York City. Some time ago, he uh, wrote a little dedication that he calls simply, Thanks, Len, which he finally got recorded. And it's our opener, as recorded by drummer Mike Clark Sextet of uh, Jed on tenor, Donald Harrison on alto, Christi uh, Christian Scott on trumpet, Patrice Ruchen on um, on piano and bassist uh, Christian McBride. Then we go to a pair from a really wonderful session that Jed led in uh, December of 2004. The album is called Mood Ellington, and it features Jed on tenor and flute with Jack Walworth on trumpet, Bill Mays on piano, Martin Wind on bass, and Jeff Brillinger on drums on Duke Ellington's Ad Lib on the Palm, and uh, Circle of Force. And here's Jed's Thanks, Len.
the Mike Clark Sextet, taken from the album Blueprints of Jazz, and that track entitled Thanks, Len, a small interview from March uh, 22nd of 2009, uh, 2009 rather, uh, preceded that, uh, that track written by Jed Levy. Uh, guests are coming into the studio at a, a tremendous pace, and uh, we really do have some um, wonderful uh, guests as well as information to... Uh, transmit to you on this uh, special memorial edition number 737 of Dobbin's Den. Before Mike Clark uh, sextet, we heard from Altis. Altis Jazz Orchestra, uh, led by Jennifer Bell, and a, a yeah. composition uh, written by Bill Kuhn, and uh, the composition was Esprit de Corps, and it was from their first album recorded in 1995. Uh, we have with us today a young man who Fewer plays chosen. the piano. And uh, has uh, broadcasted on uh, on CKUT uh, in various capacities. Dave Rishpan and Dave, I want to ask you what it feels like to try to replace Len Dobbin on the air. Um, the first time I replaced Len was quite possibly the most nerve-wracking two hours of radio I've ever done. Um, you know, just because when I host Jazz Euphorium... Um, I'm I'm generally winging it. I have sort of a certain idea of some of the albums I want to play, and the rest of it I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. But I knew that would not work <laughs> in Len's slot because he was so incredibly prepared and so incredibly knowledgeable. And you know what I find interesting is that we're all reading the credits for all these tracks that we're introducing and he had no notes he didn't need to look at the jewel cases he didn't need to look at anything he knew all the musicians on every track he played off the top of his head and so you know that one time when i came in and filled in i probably did the most preparation i've ever done for a radio show just you know really trying to you know, I guess in a certain sense, sound like Len, you know, having all my information together, having all the tracks together, um, you know, trying to get it to flow the way he would, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, it was, he thanked me the week after and he told me, you know, in, in the future that I did a good job and I filled in for him a few times at, since that first time. And, and, you know, it was always a tremendous honor to, to sit in that chair in that slot, you know. A good word from Len really meant a lot. Yeah, given I, that you're a musician, I mean, is that was that more nerve wracking than playing on stage? <laughs> yeah, possibly. You know, I, I don't think I ever played a gig where where Len was there, but I, you know, something. You know, I, I always ran into him in, in more of a press capacity, but he knew that I played, and he always asked me to send send him my records, and, and he was always a great supporter of my music because, as Jen was saying, he was always, you know, really supportive of any up and coming local talent you know and and you know we we're gonna miss having those advocates you know because there's really not a lot of them left and and the few that are there don't really have anywhere to do their thing um print media being what it is and, and radio being what it is these days so you know he he's kind of the representative of this generation of jazz historians and jazz journalists that you know is slowly unfortunately disappearing and so you know, that's that's what I really miss. You know, but but I miss Len too. I miss those great stories. Uh, you know, the best Len story I think I have is one of the more recent ones at the Herman Leonard press conference uh, last week at Jazz Fest. Herman Leonard uh, is the great, amazing jazz photographer, legendary uh, photographer of all these classic, iconic shots, and he's doing this PowerPoint presentation of uh, you know some of his 
work and he gets to the photo of Charlie Parker with Lenny Tristano and that happened to be one of Len's favorite Herman Leonard photos and there's a guitarist in the shot and all you see is his back and Herman Leonard says uh, and I think that's Herb Ellis on guitar and Len pipes up no that's Billy Bauer it wasn't even Billy Bauer it, it was some even more obscure guitar player that I had never heard of before <laughs> Um, and Herman Leonard says, who said that? And Len says, Len Dobbin, you're right. <laughs> Can you come on the road with me? Cause I don't remember these things. That's good. And you know, for, for Len, like, I don't think I've ever seen Len awestruck by anybody, but I know he, he was talking after and I know cause he was a fantastic photographer as well. And I don't mm -hmm. think people who knew him as a broadcaster realized the extent of his photography work. And so for him to get, you know, a, a good word from Herman Leonard was like the rest of us mere mortals getting a good word from Len, you know, um, you know, so that's, that's probably the memory I'll, I'll, I'll have of him that lasts, you know, you have a track you want to play. Yeah, I do. I brought uh saxophonist, Joel Miller's latest CD Tantramar. Cause I saw Joel play at, at the jazz festival and, uh, like the night after Len died and he dedicated this track to Len, this track is called Boogie Go Day, which was dedicated and written for the uh, great tenor saxophonist who passed away a few years ago, who's also a great friend of Len's. And so Joel dedicated this to Len at the show. So this is Boogie Go Day from Tantramar.
That's Now's the Time with the Gordon Fleming Group. Uh, Gordy Fleming on accordion, Herbie Spanier on trumpet, Fred McHugh on bass, Ron Paget on drums, Charlie Parker composition, Now's the Time from uh, CBC uh, recording uh, 1962. And before that, we heard uh, from uh, Joel Miller from his album Tantramar, uh, Joel Miller on uh, saxophone, Br- Br- Joel Miller and uh, J- uh, Bruno Lamarche on saxophones, Bill Mahar on trumpet, uh, Kenny Babase on uh, guitar, Fraser Hollins on bass, Tom Gossage on drums, sorry, and Colin, on that particular track, uh, we heard uh, Colin Burnett on banjo with Boogie Godet, and uh, yeah, from the album Tantramar by Joel Miller, an artist share. Cordy Fleming, um, let's see, uh, late father of uh, local promoter Heidi Fleming, actually. And this is an album that uh, Len turned me on to, and I was just absolutely blown away by it because. Uh, bebop accordionists are few and far between I'd say uh, there's not many of them around but uh, just a wonderful record on fusion and it's called According to Gordy if any of you out there are interested in picking that up you're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal time is 12.15 my name is Drew Duncan I'm here with co-host uh, Mike Chamberlain and this is edition 737 of Dobbin's Den a memorial tribute to Len um, CKUT has set up a, a phone line for you to phone and leave your comments about Len, and um, these will be um, posted or um, excerpted as uh, small uh, announcements uh, throughout the coming weeks. The phone number is 514-448-4041, and then the extension is 2547 to leave your comments, uh, reminiscences, and thoughts about uh, Len Dobbin. Uh, we welcome all of your stories. And I should also I could also add that there's a Len Dobbin group that's been set up on uh, Facebook and people there's a place obviously for people to leave comments and and stories and we'll actually I think be reading some comments that have yep. come out uh, uh, in in various uh, online uh, forums uh, over the last few days and and a, a genuine uh, and heartfelt outpouring of uh, of, uh, of feeling for for Len and and for everything that that he did for all of us over Absolutely. the years. Absolutely. Um, we now, have some great guests uh, here. We're just—it's there's so much to talk about. We're we're uh, it's lovely. Everyone's come through for us, and uh, we're really excited. I just felt—I said to Mike, it feels like we just did two hours of radio, and it's only quarter past twelve. Oh, it's you know, it's uh, this is kind of reminding me of when my father died, and the sort of I hadn't been in that experience of people all coming around, and uh, you know, when somebody dies, people make the effort to show up, and 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 uh, to sort of. The funeral is not for the person who who is left, but it's for those of us who remain behind and yeah. and to remember and honor the memory and 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 you just feel like you're you're sort of being carried along. There's this kind of momentum to the whole process, which is a, a really beautiful thing. Very, that's nicely stated. Um, one of the uh, our next guest is a a fellow uh, radio broadcaster from Burlington, Vermont. Uh, David Beckett. David's a, uh, also one of the on the on the board of the Discover Jazz Festival. They do a uh, they have a festival every year in June, and and uh, they have a, a program at the Flynn Theater and Flynn Space uh, throughout the year. And 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 David uh, has known Len or knew Len for many years. And David, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Well, it's a real honor and a pleasure to be here talking about Len today. How did you meet Len? 
You know, it's funny. Somebody, uh, just when I walked in a little while ago, said, I can't remember having met Len. <laughs> and I can't remember right. having met Len either. Mike Regenstreef just said that. Yeah. I had just simply always known him. He was always there. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. And somehow, in the early years of the Burlington Discover Jazz Festival, this would be 25 years ago, I called Len up because I knew him at that point. And I said, look, uh, if you could mention our festival on the air, that would be really great. I would really appreciate it. He said, what are you kidding? Come up and do the show with me. <laughs> so I said, what do you mean? He says, oh, get in your car. I'll tell you where to park it. Bring snacks. Um, now, he says, tell me who you got coming to your festival. This is at CJFM you're talking about. Yeah, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, down on 4th Street, right? Yeah. yeah. So I said, wow. Do they allow this, snacks this, there? That, pardon me? Do they allow snacks there? Liquid refreshments, <laughs> too, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he said, no. He said, bring, bring some snacks and some water. And, and um, now he says, radio. tell me who's coming to the festival. So I said, well, Emily Rambler, Mick Goodrick. I went down the whole line. It was a pretty extensive festival, even at that point. He said, great. Uh, if you can mail me a brochure or whatever, that'd be great. He says, I'll expect you at such and such a time. So I expected he'd have me on for a few minutes, mention the show. Uh, m I mean, mention the festival. Well, I get there, and he's written a three-hour script, completely based around the artists that we had booked for the festival. Little cutouts for me to speak. And, of course, it's kind of a exciting radio studio there. Two birdcage microphones and an enormous conference table. No engineer, no equipment in sight. I said, Len, what, where's the, like, turntables and stuff? He goes, oh, they do that. So it was the big time. And he could not have been sweeter and more gracious. You kind of felt like you always had known him. And he had always known you. And really was pushing for the music. So that's the first memory. But whenever you'd run into Len... At the beginning of the jazz festival, he'd kind of sidle up to you and he'd have this conspiratorial grin <laughs> on his face. And For everybody, man. Every single time at the beginning of the festival, he'd say, hey, how you doing? When'd you get here? Hey, listen, did you hear that? And he'd have the week's gossip right on the tip of his tongue immediately. And um, he, he, you knew you'd see Len whenever you went out to see live music. He was always there. Yeah. I have a brief aside because I know <laughs> I'm going to forget them, but when he was working at the Mix, or rather at uh, CGFM, because I don't think they were called Mix at back then, I but when so. uh, Len did his show that was a predecessor to um, Dobbins Den here at CKUT, um, he had a number of good stories, but one of them was about the the kamikaze mosquito that implanted itself on one of the records that was playing and caused it to skip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only Len could have told us a story like that. <laughs> anyway, I'll let you yeah, get there, back there, to your I remember, thoughts. I remember but at I, the time, there was a great hue and cry when Len's show was canceled on, on CJFM. There was yes. a, a, a great hue and cry about that because he'd been on for 20 years, more or less. Yeah, yeah. and um, everyone, I mean, there again, a beautiful time slot was Sunday nights. Everyone came home and listened to Len. It was a very special time um, that evening uh, slot. And so many musicians have grown up on listening to that show. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you uh, Dave, I mean, I, I've gone down to, to shows at, at, at the Flynn Theater. And, and uh, for anybody who hasn't been, there's a beautiful space. And then there's the Flynn space downstairs. And, uh, you know, Len was there a lot. Uh, yeah. 
but but you know he he wasn't always initially or, or you know each time he went there he sort of had to prove that he deserved to go backstage I well think. he he would uh just wander backstage and not knowing him people would occasionally say hi may i help you and as you said the other day if anybody had the right to say excuse me but do you know who i am <laughs> it was lynn dobbin but he would never say that he'd say Someone else would say, "Excuse me, do you know who this is?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I well, I I had to, I I got to introduce him to people in Burlington a number of times, mm-hmm. and I would just say, "This is Montreal's Jesse standing here in his shoes." Um, so, but he at that point he'd politely say, "Would you send word back to Roy Haynes that <laughs> that Len is out front?" And of course, you know, Roy would run out into the into the hall and grab Lynn and drag him backstage and that was all it took but uh yeah he was one of a kind and yeah. uh, there's jazz before Lynn and jazz after Lynn it's yeah. really the end of an era yeah absolutely I think my favorite Lynn story is is uh while we're on it which the the Roy Haynes thing kind of uh segues into it is uh and Lynn told me this himself and I can't remember who the saxophonist involved was but Coltrane, John Coltrane played uh, with the quartet in Montreal in 62, 63, somewhere in there. And after the, the concert, uh, Col- Coltrane was hanging out, or Len was hanging out with Coltrane, or Coltrane was hanging out with Len, I think that's a better way to put it. And uh, so, so Len was taking him around to uh, a couple of clubs. And uh, so this particular saxophonist, and I, I wish I had Len here to tell me who it was, was 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 playing. And he looked, you know, he's playing, and he looks up, and and here comes Len into the into the the club, you know. This is Len, and then Coltrane's right behind him, and the guy just about, you know, lost it. And and afterwards, <laughs> you know, the guy goes, the guy goes to Len. He says, Len, just don't do that to me, man. <laughs> Bringing Coltrane in to see me play. <laughs> Thanks for bringing Coltrane in, but don't ever do that again. Exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. But, I, I, that made me think of one other. This is the last one, okay? Okay, at least for, for a while. This segment. At least for this segment. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Every time I go down the hill, um, which is one, two, uh, three over from Saint Laurent. So it's uh, going east. We have Saint Laurent and then uh, Saint Dominic. The next South Street, which its, it's name escapes me, maybe Dubillon or one of those. Um, Len used to tell me about driving Thelonious Monk down that hill, and it's quite the hill, actually. It's it's one of those where your stomach kind of ends up in your gut if you're not careful. Hotel he, de Ville? Yeah. It's Hotel yeah. de Ville. And he always talked about ho- bringing Monk down there and Monk flipping out and saying, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> so every time I go down that hill, it's my, my Thelonious Monk hill. That's what I think about it. <laughs> indelibly, uh, a memory indelibly associated with, with Len. Yeah. With Len. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Those are great thoughts, Dave. Th- thanks for doing this. This is such a... Uh, you were talking about Lynn liking to go to funerals. And uh, if you have to die during the jazz festival, it's not such a bad thing because people get to be with each other and talk. His timing was pretty impeccable, actually. I mean, we're sad, we're sad that he's gone, but, you know, it's, it's, you know the circumstances and, and, and everything, it's, it, it, it made it easier for everybody else. I think that was very considerate of, of uh, whoever was uh, pulling Lynn's ticket to do it at the... Uh, at this time, and I don't want to sound, you know, well, it's a, it's, crass and it's a cliche, that, so, yeah. but I can't help observing that he died doing what he loved most. Absolutely, and everyone, everyone sees that. It's, uh, it's, it is quite something. Um, we have a, a couple of more guests coming up, and mm-hmm. some wonderful information, and um, things that um, probably haven't uh, actually um, been spoken about. Um, 
by Len or other people, an interview that uh, his friend Noel Thomas did with him um, about 10 years ago, which uh, I've never heard, so I'm really looking forward to that. John Limburner is here, and he's brought some of the early digests of the uh, jazz uh, society that they formed, and he's going to have some great stories. And um, I forgot my other thought. So I'll let it go to you. All right. Well, oh we're yeah, gonna, that's right. We're gonna we're, we're gonna play still one working track, our okay. way through Len's playlist for ish, uh, edition number seven thirty seven. This is uh, one of the last performances that uh, that Len attended a couple weeks ago at uh, Sal Wilfred Pelche, the Gary Burton Quartet with uh, uh, Gary Burton, uh, Steve Swallow, uh, Pat Metheny, and Antonio Sanchez, and uh, we're gonna hear a track off their album, the Quartet Live. Hello, Bolinas. <laughs>
That's the uh, Gary Burton Quartet. Gary Burton on vibes, Steve Swallow on bass, Pat Metheny on guitar, and Antonio Sanchez on drums with a Steve Swallow composition, Hello Bellinas, from the group's, uh, the quartet's uh, album Quartet Live, recorded June 10th and 11th, 2007 at Yoshi's in Oakland, California. It's uh, 1233 on CKUT 90.3 FM, Cable 91.7, and www.ckut.ca uh, on the, the World Wide Web. My name is Mike Chamberlain, co-hosting with uh, Drew Duncan, uh, 737th uh, edition episode of uh, Dobbin's Den, uh, the memorial program for Len Dobbin, who left us on uh, early on Thursday morning. Uh, and so we're dedicating the show, and his memory will be here until 4 o'clock. For those of you who would like to leave a comment, a memory of Len, uh, just a, a kind word for the family, and uh, the number to call is 514-448-4041, extension 2547, the CKUT comment live line, and uh, we're going to be uh, playing those comments uh, on the air in the, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, Drew, we have a very special guest here. That's right. right. <clears throat> uh, with us in studio is Noel Thomas. Hello, Noel. Hi. Hi, Drew. How are you? Well, well, thank you. Good. Um, Noel and I uh, have known each other um, for a number of years, and actually we met uh, <laughs> as I was working in the record store again, another uh, wonderful acquaintance. And uh, Noel and uh, Len's relationship uh, goes back uh, much further. Maybe you could just uh, talk about when you first met Len. That was uh, Expo year, 1967. Mm-hmm. And uh, Len was throwing a house party, of all things, when he lived on Cote St. Catherine. And I knew a friend of his, a mutual friend of his at the time, and she dragged me there. And Len took me down to the basement of his flat, and he put on a record. And he played my favorite, one of my favorite jazz musicians, Clifford Brown. And when I heard that, I said, hey, this man's my man. And we got to talking about Max and Clifford. And that's how we cemented our bond since uh, 1967 until presently, uh-huh. I say. Wow. Um, was the society, uh, the Eminon Society, active at that time? Did you join then or later on? Um, when did that happen? They, it, it began before I actually arrived in Montreal. And um, I was pulled in or roped into attending, I think, by Lynn, because I was doing um, some interviews here in Montreal and around Quebec of Montreal's jazz people from anywhere from 1960s through until, I guess, 1970, 1980, I should say. And um, Lynn, I would go and ask, or should I say I would call him up and ask certain questions about these people I want to interview. And that's how, again, Linda and I became even more bonded. Um, So it was from those jazz interviews, individual interviews I did with people such as Roland Lavallee, um, there was uh, Vic Vogel, uh, Alfie Wade over the telephone. So it was a collection of at least 60 people who would uh, experience Montreal's jazz times. Wonderful. Uh, that kind of leads into um, the present interview that we're about to have, uh, which I listen to, and that uh, I feel very privileged to have because uh, it just came out of the blue. And that's a uh, about a 10-minute interview that you did with Len in around 94, I think. Yes. Uh, I thought, hey, how can I capture this person in his element? And uh, Len certainly 
accompanied me in that thought and allowed me to do such, invited me down to the studio one Wednesday. It was Wednesday, I believe, when he was doing those jazz programs. And uh, I had open mic with Lynn, even throughout his recording sessions that day. And in between, I'd just ask him questions as to uh, life and especially bebop jazz. And Lynn was quite cooperative, I must say. Candid. Absolutely. In between, of course, Lynn being a jokester. I mean, there were humorous uh, stories to tell. And, uh, hey, entertain me. And also, uh, I was being entertained by the music. We're going to listen to the interview and then um, a track that you've chosen to play, uh, which is significant to you, by Harold Land. Harold Land at the cell in Vancouver, 1958, I believe. Very good. We'll uh, go with the interview. This is uh, Noel Thomas and uh, Len Dobbin in conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's been a good life. Had lots of music, met lots of great people. Oh, it's, it's so much music, and uh, certainly not uh, nobody's playing it. You know, other than uh, stations like this. You know, community radio is the only place you hear good music anymore, other than the CBC. You know. One question I always wanted to ask you, Lynn, and that is, r- roughly, how many LPs do you own or have you owned? Jazz? Oh, have I owned? Well, I've, I've probably owned uh, close to eight or nine thousand at one time. Uh, now, with the CDs coming out, I've been replacing them, so I'm probably down to about six thousand. Is that in any particular genre or era of jazz that you collect? No, no, no. I started in the bebop era, and um, at that point. Very little vintage was available on, uh, on well, in those days it was, uh, I guess we were still in the 78 era. I'm not sure whether LPs had come in. I'd have to look that up, what year they came in. But anyway, um, if you wanted to hear, you could read about Jimmy Blanton and Charlie Christian. And, uh, and know from reading uh, historians that they had a great influence on the music that was happening at that time, the bebop era. Uh, but if you wanted to hear what they sounded like, you uh, certainly uh, couldn't do that unless you knew somebody had a collection, because that material was not available. So now, uh, with, as LP started to come out, uh, stuff started getting get reissued. Things started to get reissued, and uh, and, and um, now, of course, with the CD era, just about everything that you want to hear is available. It's really, it's really for the person coming in who picks up a history book now. They can not only read about it; they can go to the the audio source, which is really something. So I uh, I started collecting basically bebop when I, because that's what was happening. And then I went backwards as material became available, and I started collecting Ellington, Fletcher Henderson, and Early Louie, and Chick Webb, and uh, you know Andy Kirk and the Clouds of Joy, and you know, whatever. You know. Can you roughly just uh, give me an idea when the bebop era was as far well, as it, well, it you know on record in 1945 is about it. Uh, but it really started earlier than that, but there was this recording band, which I, I mean, I don't know historically exactly the dates, but it lasted for close to two years. It was probably like from 43 to 45. So all the uh, beginnings of the music are not documented. This is what's, what's so great about this Eckstein recording is that it was done during the band, 
and uh, it was because it was a radio broadcast, the quality was really good. And uh, so we, you know, a lot of a lot of the well, when the music hit, uh, it startled people because uh, it came from nowhere. Uh, there was no uh, the music evolving from from the swing era into the bebop era really wasn't being recorded. So. All of a sudden, this music is like full-blown on the scene, and it's a little scary to somebody who had been listening to uh, Gene Krupa and then hearing a Max Roach after Gene Krupa. You know? But it was a great time for to be growing up. I mean, when when the bebop era hit, I was 10 years old, so I, I really I've heard all the classic records as they came out. Like, was that here in Montreal where you heard that? Yeah, bebop? yeah. And yeah. how was Montreal receiving the bebop? Uh, well, see, I didn't know. I thought I was 10 years old, 10, 10, 12 years old. I, I had no idea that anybody else in this city knew about this music. I thought it was some music I discovered all, you know, I was like the only guy in the city listening to Ward L. Gray and people like that. And then I went into a store one time, and the guy behind the counter was like a hip guy, and he knew who Wardell Gray was. was wow, instant friendship, <laughs> you know. And then in 1950, uh, some guys started uh, uh, the New Jazz Society, and then I got to, uh, as a 15-year-old, got to hang out with a bunch of people with like tastes. And some older guys whose parents had the Charlie Christian, Basie, Ellington, Blanton, material so they could teach me a lot you know so i have a lot of mentors there they were still around what did you hear in the bebop music that attracted you that turned you on you i don't know i have no idea okay you just grooved uh, yeah so. yeah and that was during the time that oscar peterson was uh peterson P peterson had left in 1949 for new york never to really return and uh, paul belay took over at the at the uh, Alberta Lounge, but uh, I didn't know who Paul was. I met Paul after he'd been to Juilliard. And he came to one of our executive meetings, and uh, then he and Keith White and some other people around the same time started a jazz workshop, which was similar to what we were doing, but it was on the musician side, and they had rehearsals and concerts and things. And that was, uh, it's an exciting time because there was very little music happening in Montreal, and we were we were there trying to keep it alive. Yeah. And I think uh, I think the jazz festival people, you know, are, are they're quite aware because they're a lot younger than I am of what went on in the past and and who was responsible, you know, because they certainly treat me very nicely. You saw a lot of stars, jazz uh, musicians uh, yeah. that, that came yeah. through here in Montreal. Yeah. Can you uh, think of any just offhand? Was it Lady Day here, Billy Holiday? No, I never saw Lady Day here. I saw her in 1954, uh, first Newport Jazz Festival, which I bust down to. And I saw her once uh, after that in Central Park uh, in the evening uh, on the same, well, it was a multi-talented uh, multi uh, concert. And I saw her and Dinah Washington the same night. Quite, quite a memory. Uh, but in Montreal, I saw... Uh, I saw Parker and uh, and uh, and Art Tatum and uh, uh, Mill Jackson came here. And, and young Tommy Flanagan came, and uh, well, the big bands were through Duke Ellington, Sarah Vaughan came through Billy Eggstone, George Shearing, and uh, Jazz the Philharmonic, and they had these big shows that went through with Illinois Jacquet. And, and yeah, I heard, I heard, you know, the only two people, I guess, with the bebop era I really didn't hear 
uh, were Fats Navarro and uh, well, a woman who was influential in the bebop era, but just like expands the whole history of jazz now was Mary Lou Williams. Those are the two that I, I could have heard because they were alive, but you know, Pat Severo died, I was 15 years old, so I can't say I really uh, had much of a chance to hear him, but, but I never did hear Mary Lou, and I'm really sorry that I didn't because I would have loved to have heard her. But all the bebop players, eventually I heard either here or somewhere, all the major players came through. Wardell Gray came to the uh, Seville Theater with uh, Count Basie, and uh, Howard McGee came to the penthouse. Dexter Gordon came many times, and uh, it just all eventually turned up. Yeah. A lot of clubs were happening at that time, too. Uh, not, not back in the 50s. Basically, in the 50s, you heard your, the jazz you heard in the 50s was uh, uh, behind dancers. Uh, not, I, I suppose you could call them strippers, I mean, to, to an extent. They're not strippers to the extent they are today, you know. They did leave something to the imagination in the old days. But guys like Benny Weinstone and that, you'd go to the All-American Bar and hear him and Roland Lavallee behind his dancers. And they could play jazz behind the dancers because that's what the girls like to dance to. So basically, that's where you heard the stuff, other than uh, concerts and uh, we had sessions at our meetings. Were the clubs still people? Uh, oh, yeah, with a lot of people, yeah. And the town never closed, you know. I mean, used to go to the Chaperie, uh, when Paul Blay was working in the Black Magic Room next door, I used to put the alarm on underneath my pillow on a Friday night. I'd listen to Friday night fights on the radio, go to sleep, put the alarm on for the last streetcar, which stopped right outside the apartment building in NDJ, get on the streetcar, go to the Shapery, 1, 1.30 in the morning, I guess, and uh, come out, and it's like 10 in the morning. Sun is shining, you have to, you know, shield your eyes. And we'd all go to the Luxor restaurant. The guy must have loved this. Every Saturday morning, you got like hundreds of people there coming for breakfast. <laughs> all of them looking like a little worse for wear. What years would these have been? That would be in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's great. Anyway, I'm going to get back here. Thank you, man. Okay. Quartet of Scotty LaFaro bass, Lenny McBrown drums, Elmo Hope piano, Harold Land tenor saxophone, Jazz at the Cellar. Thank you. 
Harold Land and Bigfoot at the musical choice of our guest, Noel Thomas. Uh, Noel was the person that you heard interviewing Len just prior to that. That interview dates uh, from about 12 years ago, August 13th, 1997. And um, thank you very much for bringing that in. I, we're really, really privileged to have been able to get uh, such a beautiful, candid interview. Well, you're quite welcome, Drew. And as for Bigfoot, I hope no one called the fire department because I felt that was smoking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had this image of Len, you know how he would just, he just sort of nods his head when the groove gets heavy, right? Yeah. He's not like terribly physical. There's just that, there's the head nod. It's kind of like the reggae dub knob, you know. But um, no, beautiful track. Any um, final thoughts? Uh, only to say that Lynn touched, I think, not only myself, but many people worldwide. And I don't think Lynn's actually gone. And I remember one line my brother gave me some time ago. He said, no one leaves planet Earth alive. So I think uh, at some point we'll all communicate, if not meet again with our dear, beloved Lynn Dobbin. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. You're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. It's uh, just after 1 o'clock. This is edition 737 of Dobbin's Den. And uh, my name is Drew Duncan. I'm here with um, Mike Chamberlain. And we're slowly working our way through um, Len's set list that I was, uh, and his music that I was able to get a hold of uh, for the music that uh, he wanted uh, all of us to hear for uh, today. Uh, prior to his passing, of course. I also want to remind you of the uh, phone number that's been set up uh, for listeners to be able to listen, or rather to uh, leave their uh, thoughts and reminiscences and stories uh, with us uh, uh, that we will air uh, in excerpts um, later on uh, in the month. The phone number is 514-448-4041. The extension is 2547 and um, we'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, thank you to uh, our tech today, who is Chris Hand doing a fantastic job and and uh and thank I, you for the food I, it's oh, yeah. amazing there's it's, food it's there. there's <laughs> food really there's coffee and today. and um I've, i think i've said it before on the air aj cornell uh she's uh doing a great job the food uh blocking out the time for us uh, filling out the socan log which is probably the most thankless and and uh but uh and nobody wants that particular job and we're really glad that uh, she is the person of last resort on that particular task because she's in trouble if it doesn't get filled out. So she's she's doing it, and and, and I just want to say, um, I said at the beginning of the broadcast, and I think I've said it since, and it, this is such a privilege uh, to be here today uh, for Lan and and uh, to to be meeting people, some of these people that I've never met before, and, and listening to these stories, and uh, I'm I'm I, I don't have words for it really. Um, Pianist Steve Kuhn was a, a longtime friend of Len's, and and uh, this is a, a track that Len had programmed for today's show uh, from uh, Steve Kuhn Trio with uh, Steve Kuhn on piano, of course, David Fink on double bass, Joey Barron on drums, and uh, Joe Lovano guesting on uh, tenor saxophone from the album Mostly Coltrane on ECM, and a song not written by John Coltrane, but of course recorded by him. The night has a thousand eyes.
pianist Steve Kuhn and his trio uh, with special guest Joe Lovano. Steve Kuhn on piano, uh, David Fink on double bass, Joey Barron on drums, Joe Lovano on tenor saxophone from their album Mostly Coltrane on ECM, just came out earlier this year. And uh, a song written by uh, Buddy Bernier, or Bernier and Jerome Brannan. Uh, Forgive me, uh, elder statesman, if I've completely messed up the pronunciation of those names. Uh, The night has a thousand eyes, and we have an elder statesman with us uh, this afternoon, uh, somebody who's known Len for many, many years, John Lindburner. Welcome, John. Thank you very much for coming in. I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. I'm not sure where, I don't know where to start because John seems to be an equal fountain of knowledge to Len. When we spoke briefly on the phone last night, um, John and I um, had heard about each other through Len just because we were always in contact with each other, but we'd never met. Um, But uh, there's so much to talk about and there were so many um, things that they did together that um, I think we're really privileged to um, have you here today and be able to at least mine some of that information and learn about new things that uh, we didn't know about. I did want to um, just read a, um, an email that you sent to the Yenon on um, Jazz Society Yahoo groups, um, and perhaps that will set up some of the things that we can discuss as well. Um, John has brought in a couple of copies of the uh, bulletin that they used to publish, the Jazz Society published back. Um, these date from the 1950s, and they're just wonderful mimeographed um, uh, excerpts and abstracts about jazz in Montreal, and um, I mean, these are really, really special, so we'll be able to uh, take a look at those and discuss uh, how they came about and, um, you know, your ideas of what was happening at the time. Um, this, to quote John Lindbergh from his um, posting on the internet, Today I lost a friend, an early accomplice in that struggle to get jazz known and accepted, a young man of 16 when we first met in 1951. We called him the kid because we were a few years older at 23. He was there at the first meeting of the new group that we called the Eminon Jazz Society, a merger of the Oscar Peterson Fan Club and the New Jazz Society, a product of Metronome Magazine. At the time, many of us had sent our money to the magazine in New York to become members, but Metronome did nothing to get us together locally. So, by chance, some of us met while buying records of our favorite musicians and found that we were members. In a short time, the idea of joining all the fans into a new society resulted in meeting in the old YWCA building, and the Eminon Jazz Society was born. Alfie Wade Jr. was elected president, I, John Lindbrenner, was vice president, and Len was one of the directors. The the society grew, and every meeting was a jazz event, with local and visiting musicians giving their all to make us happy. By the seventh or eighth month, we had over 300 members and problems trying to get halls for our meetings. We worked hard getting radio stations to play jazz, and it was a good time for all. I'm shivering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's very touching. <laughs> the years and work took us uh, all to different places, but since that time, Len never stopped spreading the word, and the message was jazz. Today, I got a call from a cousin, Monique Fauteux, and, it, and an age came to an end when she told me that Len had died. I can't help thinking that Montreal has a great jazz festival now, and all that enthusiasm of the early 50s was the beginning of a movement that brought us here, and Len was the prophet who stood and carried the torch after all of us sat and enjoyed. Thanks, Len. We can't replace you, and I will miss you. Uh, I don't know what yeah, to say after well, that. you feel like I felt when I wrote it. 
Um, I met Len when he was a kid, and I was just beginning to see things in new light in life. And we experienced all kinds of exciting moments. The Eminon Jazz Society was something that we thought was going to be spreading the word, and so members worked very hard to see disc jockeys and introduce them to jazz records and get them to play them. So this was a movement. It wasn't just the fact that we liked jazz. It was the fact that we wanted other people to like jazz because if they heard it, they'd love it. That's what we thought. So we worked, and it, it worked because many people started to listen to it. Jazz record sales at Lindsay's started to go up. This is where we used to go and buy most of our records. I was uh, mentioning, uh, I think there's a um, slight... Uh Remnant of the painted sign on the side of that building, if I'm not mistaken. If you look down St. Catherine Street from the west towards Stanley on the right side, there's a Lindsay's piano painted on the brick, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Near, near that Stanley. was the hall, eh? That was a, a, a store. Yes. Sold um, furniture, sold uh, pianos, and um, downstairs in the basement was the record department. And, of course, most of us at that time were there because they had a good collection, and we met. I mean, I, 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 can, I don't remember exactly the year I met Len, but in 1951, when we started, I guess it was October when we started Eminon, I had known him for, for probably a year. And most of the other members that founded Eminon already knew each other and uh, so coming together to start a, the, the Jazz Society was just another meeting except at this time it became much more formal and it went on from there it was very exciting <clears throat> there was um, well uh, radio stations like CKC CKVL CFCF, CJD, that we bothered. We knocked on the door all the time, and we always had some new record to let to get them to listen. And if we were lucky, well, we'd get an interview and plug our song and plug our musician and our meetings. It turned out to be a, a popular. Uh, meeting for jazz fans and later on we organized jam sessions in, in um, uh, Chez Paris mm -hmm. that, that uh, well Chez Paris wasn't the same those days as it is or as it became later uh, they had good shows there so we, we organized Saturday afternoon jam sessions concerts that became very popular and that ended up with Charlie Parker coming to town and Charlie Parker doing a broadcast on one of the first broadcasts on uh, the French network of CBC. Television, right? Yes, television. That was the beginning. I think it was 1952, 53. My understanding is that that um, 
audiovisual clip, which was a kinescope, is probably uh, the holy grail of Parker documents as it was lost um, or has been misplaced and never found again. Um, I think they used to um, ship the kinescopes or the films to different TV stations to be broadcast in different cities. There wasn't necessarily copies made, but I know that... um, they weren't able to find that, and that's would have been the longest audiovisual footage of Charlie Parker, I think, in existence. Probably, mm-hmm. because uh, nobody could get Charlie Parker to sit still for any length of time. You were at that show. <laughs> How was the show? <laughs> well, I was disappointed because <laughs> the organization was bad, and that's the only thing I was looking at. I see, but. The music was fantastic, and the, the local musicians who played with Parker were, were excited and never forgot it. So it was a good event, yes, but badly organized, <laughs> for which I apologize. We were responsible, but it's, it's now in the history books, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but can I continue? So we're around 1953, <clears throat> 1954, when birthday. 52. 52. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, in 53, well, I, this preoccupation with jazz took us, took, well, it occupied all our time. We ran from one place to the other, did a little bit of work to earn some money, stayed up half the night talking to musicians in nightclubs and trying to get more people interested all the time. And, of course, eventually, you find out that you're spending more for records than you're earning every day. Excellent. And at the end of the week, your, your record bill is, is maybe 10 or 20% over what your, pay, what your pay was. So there comes a day of reckoning, and the day of reckoning came for me in about 1953, and I figured, i got to stop this. Uh-huh. So I, I moved down to, to Newark, New Jersey with a friend and stayed there for a year. And... Uh, Got back on my feet because I made money down there. <laughs> but it, it, when I got back to Montreal, things had changed, and there was much, much more jazz everywhere. And uh, what year did you return? I returned at the end of '54. I'm I met my future wife in Birdland, and I came back <laughs> here and got married in December '55. So. That's very romantic. I love it. <laughs> Meeting someone at Birdland. That's like, a, that's like a chapter of a book, a song. Uh, you Can know? you imagine going to Birdland? You couldn't get a table. So going down the stairs, this was in the old Birdland, going down the stairs, this young girl comes by me, and I asked her if she wanted to sit with me because then I could get a table. And she said no. And I was terribly disappointed because then I had to go and stand at the bar, and I was used doing that. So we had a long talk, and I found out later that her mother's maiden name was Limburner also. No. So that that tied the (laughs) knot, you know. (laughs) But um, anyway, those days were very good in Birdland. uh, I saw a lot of music there. And uh, there was a disc jockey in Montreal called Dwayne Desmond, who was Paul Desmond's ex-wife, who... I used to bring records to. And when one of the times I went down to New York, I saw Brubeck at Birdland, and I tapped him on the shoulder. I wanted to talk to him privately and told him about Dwayne Desmond being in Montreal broadcasting because she didn't want Paul Desmond to know. And so that Brubeck sent a whole 
box of records of all kinds to her and there was more jazz on the radio excellent how <laughs> mm. uh, those days are gone can you um i have the um Eminon Jazz Society Bulletin here in my hand from December 25th of 1952. I see you don't take days off. <laughs> but um, just by scanning it, could you maybe just um, give me some thoughts about when you put it together, what was happening at a given moment, or um, anything that comes to mind? Well, <clears throat> I how was, it was distributed. And, I uh, was living on Mansfield, mm-hmm. and being downtown, this became the headquarters. Everybody was there. I mean, I was working at night. Your own house, in other words, right? Just my own apartment. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was working at night, going to the downbeat to listen to music until 4 in the morning, coming back home, going to bed, and at 12, somebody would be knocking on the door wanting to play records or something. Or Where was the downbeat located? Downbeat was on Peel Street, just above St. Catherine Street, okay. uh, across from the Mount Royal Hotel at that mm-hmm. time. And... Um, the owners later bought the Chaperie. I see. So at that time, and we had, oh, musicians coming in from all over the place. And, and we were, we would try and talk these guys to come in to play for us on our Saturday afternoon jam sessions. Right. For which we would charge a magnificent sum of 10 cents. And... We had a lot of so we we ran around the clubs a lot, uh, trying to get people to come. Every time we had a meeting, there was a crowd and there was ten, twelve musicians that came to play for us. So so it was the 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 effort was fruitful for everybody. You know, yes. the musicians were glad to be able to jam, and we were glad to hear them. But. Um, well, my, and as you can see in the, the bulletin here, I, I, I started publishing, I started too, publishing this because I was working in printing, yes. and I had access to all the plate making and all that, and, the, and the, I had a large-sized typewriter with a 20-inch, key, 20-inch carriage, and uh, I used to type all these columns and then paste them up and bring them down and get them printed we had at the top, I guess, about three hundred and sixty, three hundred and seventy members, and we had to. T- I had to type all of these things myself, and I wasn't a good typist. And my education was in French, so when my English language was picked up from boyhood, but I mean, I I never went to English school, so I I had a hard time writing things not to make mistakes. That's life. <laughs> I'm just going to interject for one second. While speaking to um, Len's daughter, Nina, last night, she told me that at um, when he uh, was doing his show at Mix 96 or at CJFM, um, when he'd come back from a tune, he'd said, he would say, uh, hey, Len Dobbin. And uh, he got mail addressed to Helen Dobbin. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry about your typing skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But this, uh, these bulletins that we sent out were going to all the members, and of course they were. We, we had a formal thing. We had a uh, formal meetings of the directors, and and it was it was very well regimented, so that everybody gave. Did you always do a quorum. 
Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> That's an inside joke for CKUT, actually, <laughs> having been on a yeah, board Yeah, because we had, we, had set, we had set our quorum at half the, at half the membership. Oh, and, yeah. And, and so... Out of 300 people. Out of 300 people, you know. That's a pretty strict requirement. Well, we were young and, yeah. you know, bright-eyed, and we believed that everything worked well. Uh, you eventually find out in life that it doesn't work that way. But, uh, well... There was, we had, we had, of course, our, our members would meet often privately, apart from the, the uh, formal meetings. And the input and, of the newsletter was, um, to, like, everyone contributed to it? Yeah, well, people would bring in handwritten notes about something. Okay. And I'd try to decipher their handwriting and type it. And then I'd get a friend of mine to look at it to see if there was too many mistakes in, yes. in English. And by the time I usually did this at 2 o'clock in the morning, so I got the bulletins ready, and I'd, uh, I'd bring them downtown to my friends, and they'd make the plates and print them. But one of the things I have here, for instance, these two are the last copies that I know of. Yes. Because I had them all. I imagine in and they Land's got, archive they got, they got lost. They got lost somewhere. over the years, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a we we were there. Would you like to read one of these? Or I could was you, just uh, well, excerpt one of them for us. I'm not good at reading on the air. I can read it for you if you want, though. <laughs> I was there when uh, the 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 jazz workshop was founded with um, Paul uh, Buzzy Blay and uh, Buzzy Blay. Yeah, well, that was that. We, we called him Buzzy, and, and I it wasn't tried anything it. to do with the piano. It was just no. This was a, a nickname that he had from childhood, I think. Uh-huh. So. Um, he was there, and Al Gaylord, other guys, Harold Smith, who was a good, one of the guys who really brought me into the group formally. And um, we got together and planned on raising money, finding jobs for musicians, and finding a place for them to be able to play. The idea was that uh, in New York, there was a theater or workshop that that uh, Buzzy Blay had seen, and he wanted to try the same thing in Montreal. So he talked to the musicians, and it started working. We had concerts. The con- some of the concerts financed this. Eventually, they rented a place on Dorchester, which was called the Video Cafe, I believe. This was, I don't know why they got to use a Video Cafe, because television wasn't very widespread then. But uh, and then we participated. The the Eminon participated in their efforts by having our meetings there, for which we paid rent. Right. So they we they were on the top floor, and that's when things got really going. And they brought in Parker and uh, oh a lot of other Brewmore and uh, I remember Brewmore after the jam session spent the night in my apartment drinking my beer and. Uh, Waiting to go, there was a a, a, a a dancer, a fan dancer. I can't remember her name now. Who was Brumore's friend? Who was dancing at a club, and he stayed at my place until four in the morning so that he could go and pick her up. All kinds of things like that happened all the time. I feel old now. <laughs> It's how, a long time ago. How long did the uh, did the newsletter uh, exist 
in um, stages. Do you know? I, I let I left in '53. Uh, Irving uh, Rubinstein was supposed to carry it on. I don't know how many he put out after. I gave him the typewriter to do the job, and uh, I don't know how many he did after that. Because for that year that I was away, I didn't see any, any uh, anything or hear of anything happening. When I came back to Montreal, uh, the Eminon se- seems to have drifted away. I guess nobody was paying much attention or trying to organize it. So when I came back, I, apart from the fact that I was working very hard to earn living, I didn't have a chance to to attend all the, the meetings but the 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 Eminon society sort of just drifted away because there was so much jazz happening everywhere that their meetings were no longer needed so that's what that was the end of that what influence do you think um the gathering uh, of you folks, as well as the substantial membership uh, that the society had um, how do you think that affects things that we see as we see them today? I mean, are there vestiges of that left over? Or, um, I mean, the Jazz Fest is here now. It's a huge thing. It's a very different mm-hmm. thing. But at the same time, this is the history of jazz in Montreal that you're talking about and fundamental things. Um, do you see any of that reflected in today's um, I, I think the jazz? jazz Festival is a result of the enthusiasm that was... That, that happened in 1951 and that grew and grew and more more people became acquainted with jazz. And the jazz festival probably is there because there were jazz fans, people who were willing to go to a, to a jazz festival to listen to music and to, to go to concerts. Uh, at that, in the early time, the only concerts there were there were... I remember Eddie Condon coming to His Majesty's Theater. I think that was the first time I went to a jazz concert. And then uh, Jazz at the Philharmonic came to theater on in La Fontaine Park, the Plateau Hall. And those those were the only real jazz activities in in those years in 48 47, 48, 49, 50, 51. When we started this we were spreading the word, and we were causing people to f- to find a reason to have jazz concerts because it made money. It brought in the, f- the people came in and paid for it. So nightclub owners probably figured, hey, this is a good thing. This was giving musicians work. It was bringing in musicians from New York or f- from other places, and. Would jazz have been a, a more dance-oriented thing at that time that you're talking about, where people actually danced to the music no. a lot, or was it a sit-down? No, this was strictly listen. Yes. Yeah, and um, we went to wherever there was jazz in the nightclubs, the people weren't dancing. They were just listening. So <clears throat> when their concerts happened, they, they started to spread. In 1952, there was quite a few around the city. The nightclub owners realized that there was money to be made and hired musicians, and which is what we were looking for. We wanted the musicians to have work. Because if they had work, they played jazz, and if they played jazz well, we were happy. Yeah. <laughs> Gospel spread that way. <laughs> right. I have, um, there's a clip that we, um, God, I was talking about the Jazz Fest, and then I just thought about uh, some uh, warm words spoken about Len. 
and that is uh, a press conference, I guess, at uh, Andre Bernard. Thursday afternoon. Right. So I just wanted to um, interject with this because it's uh, very thoughtful and... um, I just it just crossed my mind when we were talking about the jazz fest, so we're just going to go to this audio clip. Okay, good. I would like to take a few minutes and talk about our friend Len Dobbin, who very abruptly had to leave us yesterday. Um, he was a longtime friend, needless to say, from year one. We uh, we met Len Dobbin uh, many many times throughout the years. Um, I'm a bit, uh, well, shocked by what happened yesterday. But at the same time, I felt like it was, it's not improper for him to leave as he was in his element. He's been claiming all week that he was a very happy man right now. So I think that you don't choose the moment for something like this to happen. But in the midst of the festival, at his favorite digs upstairs, that Lindobin had to quit at that moment. I, I think befits the persona. Lifelong jazz fan, lifelong passionate for his for his favorite music and for his favorite musicians. Um, I think I will always remember him as a very profound and gentle person. Um, our best moment together, I think, has been when he asked me in the late 80s to do a farewell concert for his friend Pepper Adams, who we knew was on his way too. Um, Pepper was uh, a bit diminished by illness, but still he made it to Montreal. And he got to perform this song that he had composed for Len Dobbin, that was called Dobbin. And that night, it felt like Len was in heaven. So, uh, we wish his family and his numerous friends in the city serene moments while we will keep deep thoughts obviously the rest of this festival will be dedicated to them and we'll try and think of the best thing to do about the way we shall reminisce and the way we shall do a memorial moment or something in the next weeks or months obviously uh, this came as a big surprise and we were not really prepared for that I have to admit that even the best organizers of the best festivals in the world <laughs> are at last with words and with with ideas in a moment like that. Andre Marnard at a press conference on Thursday regarding the, pros- the passing of uh, Lynn Dobbin. You're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. My name is Drew Duncan, uh, co-hosting... Edition 737 of Dobbin's Den, a tribute to Len, uh, surrounded here by many, many people. All uh, not a sound in here as we listen to our guest, uh, John Lindbrenner. It's 20 to 2. Um, Andre Renard's um, statement or uh, talking puts things into perspective. That's 58 years after Len started promoting jazz. Yeah. It- I guess people today don't realize that that this guy he, he was an apostle for the cause. Len kept at it. He he spread the word. He published. He talked about it on his radio programs, and people became conscious of of the existence of jazz and and jazz musicians, and the the music caught on. 
it's how can you say it it's a sort of a a magic way of spreading the word but he did it one thing I admired and I told him a few times lately he he was an encyclopedia he was a living encyclopedia we could talk of anything I could talk of you were talking about Gordy Fleming played me accordion I I had a a, a, a 78 RPM record of a a lady called Alice Hall who played jazz accordion and did a couple of couple recordings for Capitol in 1948-49 a woman playing jazz accordion you wouldn't believe what she did she was called the, the queen of the accordion to make a long story short Len and I are at our monthly meetings lately are talking about this and I said, you know, I, I don't know if Alice Hall did anything else. And he says, no. And he says, she's only did those two capital sides, you know. I have the record at home, but I didn't think Len would remember that. I did some research after and found out that Alice Hall died at 95 in Los Angeles uh, six years ago. Wow. And I found that she had done a recording of uh, a video recording of a concert and a church concert of all things i got in touch with the people in los angeles and and got the cassette and played it and i made i made a cd for len to listen to it but len remembered instantly who alice hall was (laughs) i mean this is a, a a lady who did Two sides. She re- actually recorded six sides, but only two sides were issued. So that was him. I mean, his memory was absolutely fantastic. And the detail when I had a, a 78 of, of Butch Watanabe and the boys in Montreal who played at the same show, they did a, 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 a 78 RPM record for, I think it was Regal or something. And I mentioned that once about in in a, in a little note that I wrote him, and he he called me and he, he he gave me all the names of the musicians that were on the record. Now he didn't have the record; I have it. <laughs> but that's the kind of memory he had. It was like a trap. You hit, anything went in it; it just stayed there. To, and that is the magic that Len was to everybody. Because when you talked about jazz to him. It was like a living book. He would just turn the pages for you and expose you to all of this knowledge. Every every time, uh, I think, uh, Len, whenever you met him, you walked away with something more than when you first encountered him. Every time. He told you something new. Um, this is a perfect example, obviously, of oral history and how things are transmitted. Much of what we're talking about has probably never been published. Um and uh, it's gone. And uh, there are many things we won't know. A similar kind of thing I was uh, explaining to uh, someone the other day was uh, kind of happened when um, another well-known jazz collector, Walter Demanchuk, passed away about a decade or so ago. He was a jazz film and boxing film collector whose um, house had pathways through it but was very, very well-known. All of that knowledge, every the whole archive, everything that was contained in every reel was all up here. And when he left the mortal coil, so did that catalog. 
and uh, much of the, I guess, the minutiae and the details of specific things or who that is in the crowd or announcing the show is gone the way that uh, Len having passed, uh, it's the same thing. There's things... He lent me uh, this improvisation DVD of Norm Granz, and he just started telling me things about it. I watched it, and I had all these questions, and now I will no longer get the answers, and um, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, as... as I, Len, he's just so gracious with his knowledge, too. You know, even if you didn't know something, I, I mean, I've, I've, I had it where I, I asked him questions that on upon reflection were like really dumb questions. Must have seemed like really elementary stuff to him. And he was never condescending in his answer. He was just happy to share the information. And, and uh, I was, you know, always very, very uh, appreciative of that. Uh, For our listeners, um, there's people four deep two abreast outside and everyone's nodding <laughs> it's like the oral history that is welcome uh, home yeah can you um we were um trying to find out we were trying to see what we could play and i know that uh, you didn't have time to bring anything in but mm-hmm. when you um looked at the gordy fleming record who um is just a wonderful jazz accordionist um you knew all of the people on the session so we're going to play two tracks from yeah. that but i wondered if you could maybe just give us some information Al about baculus was here yes he, uh, the last time i saw baculus he was teaching at mcgill mm-hmm. uh, buddy defranco is from the states Michelle Donato is local. Al Gaylor was local. Billy Graham was local. Buck Lacombe is Ivan Andre played vibes. Is, is these guys played at the downbeat and had jam sessions every night. Mm-hmm. And um, all, all Herbie Spaniard was here. Tony Romandini was here. I, I used to, I mean, used to go to the clubs to listen to these guys. What can I say? They were great musicians. They, they, what they did, what they recorded is great music. And thank God for CDs. <laughs> Everybody can get them. Everybody can play them. But, God, so many memories. So many memories. You mentioned uh, briefly before that you did radio. In what capacity was that? Oh, no, I just went on as a guest. I see. Bringing records to people. Um so, uh, I think I was on about every radio station in Montreal. But, I mean, I'd, I'd go in with a record and talk about some musician, and uh, that was it. I, I, didn't do, I didn't do any broadcasting apart from as a guest. Right. So, but this is the first time since, I think, 45 years, I guess, I'm on radio. So, Any um, parting thoughts for Lynn? I don't want to cry. That's fine. Just uh, favorite we, show you went together. We, we or any, met. Uh, we met every month. Yeah. We sat across from each other, and we talked about things that happened a long time ago, and we had a pleasant time. I started this Eminem jazz group on Yahoo to give him a place to archive whatever he wrote. I tried to, to get a, a bulletin, a really professional-looking bulletin out for him, but unfortunately, events in my life stopped me. But <clears throat> all I wish is that I could have done more 
for his his work, his writings, and all of the things that he did, there would be a a place where it was archived and it would be useful for future reference. I lost a friend. Thanks very much for coming in. Wonderful talking to you. Thanks.
Big welcome to um, what is edition number 717. Backwards or forwards, it's 717. And uh, this is Dobbins Den, and I am Len Dobbin, your host through 1 o'clock. You're tuned to CKUT 90.3 FM, that's community radio in downtown Montreal. On cable, it's 91.7 FM. That was Nardis. Um, uh, featuring the late Jerry Nywood on alto with Jim Pugh on uh, trombone in a group led and arranged by former Montrealer Wally Dunbar. Nywood uh, was killed in that recent uh, plane crash near Buffalo. Played Montreal on a number of occasions with uh, Chuck Mangione, who he was to uh, concertize with in Buffalo. 
Uh, Ken Asher was on piano with Bill Mooring on bass and Ronnie Zito on drums. Tomorrow I am blessed to be celebrating my 74th birthday in a lot better health than I was two years ago. Uh, thanks go to an array of people including Dorothy Berryman, Dr. Vanka, Monique Fauteux, and countless doctors and staff at the Royal Victoria Hospital here in Montreal. Just got a note from uh, tenor man Jed Levy that he finally got around to recording a tune he calls Thanks, Len, and we're going to air that as soon as it arrives, which uh, hopefully will be uh, this week. That I'm not sure of as yet. And um, um, it's, in fact, the uh, fifth title that I am proud to say involves yours truly. There's a tune that's not recorded, Nick Abe's Dobbin's Nest. And there's Red Schwager's Red Pepper Rose, which was written for myself and Pepper Adams. And then Pepper's composition Dobbin and Oliver Jones' Lens Den. I actually uh, share a birthday with a, a number of composers, all of whom we're going to hear on this first set. They are, in order, uh, George Frederick Handel, John Carisi, Hall Overton, and John Benson Brooks. February 23rd is also the date uh, I lost my dad, and also the date of the death of uh, Stanley Dance, Alan Dawson, and his prize student, Tony Williams. I'm going to begin with Handel, who was born in 1685. I never met him. And uh, this is the hornpipe from his water music. Then it's the Jerry Mulligan Concert Band with Bob Brookmeyer featured on Vault Trombone on John Carisi's arrangement of his blues, Israel, which is followed by Hall Overton's arrangement of Monk's Little Rudy Tootie, the encore from Monk's Town Hall concert that took place uh, 50 years ago, Saturday, well, this week, uh, Saturday, February 28, 1959. I happened to be in New York for my 24th birthday that year, and fellow Eminon Jazz Society member Pat Sorrentino insisted that I stay a few days and hear the Monk concert, which I am very happy to say I did. First half had a quartet of Monk, Charlie Rouse, Sam Jones, and Arthur Taylor, Joined after intermission is the word I want uh, by Pepper Adams, Phil Woods, Donald Byrd, Eddie Burt, and uh, Bob Northern on French horn and Jay McAllister on tuba. The most recent uh, CD of the concert adds some of the quartet material. Holberton ingeniously added the original uh, Monk piano solo on Rudy Tootie, which uh, Hall scored for the band. Last but not least is June Christie, backed by a big band arranged by Shorty Rogers and John Benson Brooks' composition, You Came a Long Way from St. Louis, from a session that Dorothy Berryman hit me to. Music by four composers who were all born on February 23rd, as I was. That was uh, Len Dobbin from his... Uh uh, birthday broadcasted this past year, uh, edition number 717. We were cracking up. We're in all it. reeling from that. <laughs> Just the, the, the Len Dobbinness of the whole thing. Because he, he had birthdays, people he shared birthdays with, things that had happened on his birthday, concerts that he went to on his birthday, songs that were recorded on his birthday. 
And uh, I mean, it was great. It was so fantastic. You know, it's just ah, man. And we uh, we were playing Gordy Fleming before. Yeah, yeah. We oh, sorry because we we just to, for if anybody wasn't listening before, uh, we should just sort of maybe do a time check here. It's at two o four in the afternoon. You're listening to CKUT ninety point three FM, uh, cable ninety one point seven. And my name is Mike Chamberlain, co-hosting with Drew Duncan, uh, Led and Dobbin uh, Memorial uh, edition of Dobbin. Den uh, edition number 737 and you heard in that last segment uh, Len um, uh, giving a, an outro there or an intro to uh, the uh, uh, what is it the, the Mike Clark track that we played earlier that's right and and uh, so but that wasn't what we played in, in the previous set we played a couple of tracks from uh, um, Gordy Fleming uh, we heard Labrador which is a, a Gary Benson composition uh, with uh, Gary Benson on guitar, Gordy Fleming on accordion, uh, Jerry Holke on bass, I guess, and Don Vickery on drums. And before that, we heard Impressions John, by John Coltrane uh, with uh, Gordy Fleming uh, on uh, as a quartet with Gordy, Gordy Fleming on piano, actually, Al Penfold on trumpet, and Colin Biggin on tenor sax, Don Habib on bass, and Buddy Hampton on drums, which doesn't make it a quartet anymore. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, impressions by John Coltrane, uh, performed by Cordy Fleming, uh, uh, plus four, I guess. Um, we've been getting some messages. There's a Facebook page. Uh, been, yeah, the Facebook. The, there's Len's uh, Facebook page as well as a page that has been set up in dedication of him. That's correct. It's a Facebook group, I should right. I should say. And we've been getting some uh, uh, messages uh, from people uh, over the last couple of days. I want to read a couple of them. Uh, this is from Lois Gilbert at uh, Jazz Corner. All of us at jazzcorner.com send our sincerest sincerest condolences uh, this is to Nina and, and the other uh, the Len's other daughters your dad was one of a kind he was always so respectful to anyone who was involved with jazz I'm indeed grateful to have known him whether it, whether it was virtually or listening to him our last email correspondence was on his birthday he was a member of Jazz Corner's forum and we sent him a happy birthday note he was so celebratory of his 74th and I should perhaps point out that in that clip that we heard he was giving thanks because Leonard had some very serious health problems a couple of years ago and, and we almost lost him at that time so and it, ironically he seemed to be looking uh, quite a bit better recently uh, and Lois concludes uh, he was so celebratory of his 74th as we are for all the years we have been blessed to have shared his precious music with him uh, another one was from Aldo Mazza. Uh, Len will be missed big time. He was not only a good friend, a source of inspiration and encouragement, but also an incredible source of knowledge with the mission to share. We are a much better community individually and collectively because of Len. He was one of Montreal's true treasures, and I always looked forward to seeing him out there. Thank you for being and sharing with uh, all of us in your unselfish manner the real deal. I did not want to believe the news, but this is life as we know it. And this is from Aldo Mazza at uh, Cosa Music. Dot com or aldomatsa.com and we got a, a message here from uh, uh, Tom Gossage drummer here in Montreal when I was and he, he talks about um, Len when I was young I used to listen to Len religiously every Sunday night on CJFM it was a very special time for me and very informative as well a huge part of my jazz education I would listen play some drums or just futz with things but it was always just me and the radio or in this case Len later on when I began leading my group Tom Gossage other voices he was very supportive 
Although I'm sure my music wasn't completely Len's thing, I deeply appreciate his encouragement and openness. He was particularly fond of the piece Nomad uh, off the album Now Beyond. He will be missed but not forgotten. Tom Gossage, we're going to play that track, Nomad by Tom Gossage, Other Voices.
Tom Gossage, other voices with Nomad from uh, their album The Now Beyond and on Effendi. And uh, you heard on that particular track Remy Boljuk and Frank Lozano on saxophones, Miles Perkin on bass, Gary Schwartz on guitar, Tom Gossage on drums on the track uh, Nomad. It's uh, 13 minutes after 2 o'clock. Uh, my name is Mike Chamberlain, and uh, this is... Uh, the 737th edition of Dobbins Dan. I'm here with Drew Duncan and a cast of thousands. We have the uh, Saint Henry, Saint Henry Posse, a very, very, very well represented. Just uh, uh, to my left, uh, more or less immediate left is is uh, Steve Amiro, pianist Steve Amiro. Hi, Steve. Hi, how's it going? Uh, it's it's going all right here, and and uh, we're just so happy to have everybody come in today. And and just kind of to my left and slightly behind me, we have uh, Christine Jensen and 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 Joel Miller. And and uh, so we have uh, St. Marguerite Street and St. Augustine Street. That's I right. Think, uh, <laughs> represent. Taken care of, representing. Henry. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's – actually, I was thinking of Steve uh, – when I was when I think of Len, I think of him sitting at the uh, at the corner of the the end ta- the end chair at the bar upstairs, the one closest to the stage. And when I think of Steve uh, not playing, I think of him sitting at the on the on the on the on the chair closest to the cash That's register exactly. at upstairs. So, so right. you know, guys are holding right. down the bar at upstairs. You know? Well, he's more interested in the music. Right, and you're I'm more interested, interested in the girls. That that's it. That work there. I'm no. glad you said that. <laughs> well, that's what everybody was thinking. So I just thought I'd uh, put that. That's that's good. That's good. Uh, <laughs> you were interested in the girls. Hand. I noticed you were always Raise sitting your hand alone. Who wasn't I, thinking I, that? But I noticed you were always sitting alone, oh. Steve. That uh, yeah. anyway, yeah, it's not working. But anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, it's 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 great. It's great to have you guys here. As, as I said, uh, yeah, I mean, you are uh, uh, representatives of not only St. Henry, but a, a, a particular generation of, of younger jazz musicians. I suppose that uh, Len, um, you know, always gave a lot of support to, and 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 um, maybe you could talk about that a little bit, and and, and maybe some of your reminiscences of Len. I'll just leave it open sure. for that. Yeah. I mean, I think that everybody that you know, no matter which generation, you know, has their. They're Lynn, uh memories of when they were first around because when you're first around trying to get happening on a scene and make a name for yourself and all that, um, any kind of support is always welcome and often taken for granted, you know, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, going back further than, than uh, Joel's upstairs, um, uh, we have... Am I not close enough? That's not bad. I can remember, I just thought about this the other day when, you know, of course, uh, when the news came. I thought about, like, my career since I came to Montreal when I was 22. And um, I, can, I can name a bunch of places that Len was instrumental in having some sort of series or something happen in said club. And there's probably more that I can remember, but I remember um, him asking me to play solo piano at the Grand Hotel, which is now the Delta down on Lower University. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a piano series there, and I remember I did some nights, and John Ballantyne did some nights, and I think Stetch was around then. And but anyway, it was Len Dobbin presents, and he just you know went in there and said, "Hey, I'd like to uh, have this thing." And he had his his reputation from the radio, and they said, "Sure." So there was gigs because of Len, you know. And then there was the bistro, not the bistro, the uh, the Bijou before that, that was owned by uh, George Durst from the House of Jazz. And then there was his live radio show at um, at Biddle's, 
right? He mm-hmm. did every Sunday night. I don't know if you guys remember that. Musicians played live on the radio station that you guys were talking about earlier. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And ah. that was Len's show out of the house of jazz, well, Biddles at the time. Right. So, you know, and when you think about it, it, it you know, it's, it's actually quite a bit. Of of uh, and you know when you're younger, I guess I have to admit fault there. You know you don't really appreciate it as much. You think you're you know you're so worried about you know getting your career going and and all that. It's sort of later that you reflect on those things and how actually important they are in in, in everybody's sort of development. Not just for the musicians, for the people who want to hear jazz, and sometimes that might only be five people that are in the room, but the people like Len, there are very very few and. Uh, I think I don't know. For me, I think that's really what I can, you know, uh, what I can say about how important that is. That and the fact that um, it's like you know, like I lost my uh, my parents a little while ago, and uh, sometimes I'll think, uh, oh, what was that guy's name? You know, uh, cousin or whoever. You know, and I can't call my mom and say, you know, well, that's kind of in the same sort of way as Len. You know, it's like you think of, of a certain record or a certain period or whatever, and you know, he's you, you can't call him and say, uh, you know, what's up with that? Can you tell me the, you know, tell me the dirt on that? So yeah, yeah, Christine, yeah. you there was something you oh well, I'll, I agree. Yeah, with go everything ahead. You're yeah. saying, and I think. He used to leave me packages up until Tuesday night. After he would see me at the bar and we'd talk, and then he would talk some more, and I, I'd start to lose focus because he had all these names coming at me. <laughs> and there's a quiz later. Yeah, and there's a quiz later, and and then he would, he, you know, we it was like every time he was like this family member at the bar at upstairs for me. I went through McGill. He was there at concerts then, and then he was always there, really supporting what what he knew I was trying to attempt that was his thing and he would he'd be like oh yeah he'd send me an email or he'd call me and go I have a package for you at the bar so this week it was a bunch of Gil Evans uh, tribute and then that Tom Talbert so then I get Tom Talbert and I'm like who's Tom Talbert now I have to go figure this out but he puts his notes in it yeah. So I have quite a collection of Len's help, yeah. his, it's interesting. his you're, education you're, to me. Well, so thoughtful. I mean, you know, that he was, you know, for you, you yeah. know, I mean, his, oh, you know, Christine should hear this. And, yeah. you're, and you're both sharing that discovery, like almost at the same instance. And I mean, he was really excited about Tom Talbert when I spoke to him last week. And I mean, you're there right <laughs> at the moment. I have yet to learn more about Tom Talbert, actually. But it's coming off what you're saying. You know, he was just there supporting yeah. us. Mm. All the time, yeah. Kind of an educator too. Yeah. Did you want to say anything, Joel? Sorry. Yeah. Well, I had a, a similar experience where uh, when I I put out uh, a CD in 2004 called Mandela, and there was a song off of there that he right away picked up on, and and, and um, it, it's something that I was that I worked out in seven. It goes a sorry in five. That's five. <laughs> and so instantly he 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 uh, told me, "Oh, that's just like Freedom Day, by um, with Max Roach and Clifford Brown and and Abby Lincoln, which goes." But it's not in five. But uh, but I, I'm I think that he had perfect pitch in with. Well, I mean he had. This incredible memory, as we we were talking about, but um, it it's exactly what like what you're saying, Christine. That uh, he he knew what what I was um, 
work well he was always trying to sort of um you know show what how what i was working on there was through references to it in the past um and uh and it was great because he the same thing uh left an envelope at the bar for me with with uh with his notes about that song wow. and and um and so and I listen to it, and I, I still listen to this CD. I mean, um, I, I love this this group with uh, Abby Lincoln and, and Clifford Brown and, and uh, Max Roach. Well, it's Max Roach's group. And, uh, and, I mean, I have a whole bunch of songs like that, and I still have questions that I, <laughs> that I want to ask him about songs. And maybe in a while, if, if I can, if I can uh, play some of the things with, with uh, David Rishpan, I brought uh, a lead sheet of of a song that uh, that uh, I still um, want to just put out there, and and uh, I know Len's not here, uh, but uh, maybe if I if I play it, somebody can at least answer for me um, what who the song was written by. Wonderful, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> that would be really great. Uh, Steve, as uh, you know, Sheila Jordan was a was mm. a great friend of 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 Len's and. Uh, they shared uh, a long history together and a lot of kind of similar experiences. And uh, you had the opportunity to participate in a recording at Upstairs, right. uh, off of which uh, we're going to play, uh, the, you know, The Crossing later on. Um, and yeah, the the I'll, I'll get to that later. The, okay. The <laughs> but uh, if you could talk a little bit about uh, working with Sheila and maybe sure. something about what sure. uh, speak to what you know Len, Sheila meant to Len and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, you know, uh, Len created that opportunity uh, for upstairs to have you know through his friendship with Sheila and to get her out here the first time, which I'm not even sure when that was five six years ago. I mm. guess the first time I played with her. And uh, and of course, you know, he was uh, he suggested that I do it, you know, to Joel and upstairs and the whole thing. So that was you know great for me. Um, besides being a great musical experience, I mean, we could talk about Sheila and what it's like uh, for a really long time. Um, her history is so deep, and and what she how she believes and what she sings about. You know, it's great when Sheila, who's eighty years old, sings about you know Charlie and Charlie Parker and or calling him Bird or talking about Miles. You know, you know that she knew all these people. And uh, so there's an authenticity there that's, you know, which is the same, of course, as Len, because he knew them all, or at least, you know, had met them, or, you know, or at least knew their work uh, really, really well. But, um, you know, I think I think one of the, the most moving moments uh, about playing with Sheila when we, was when she would play this song called The Crossing, which is a tune uh, that she wrote about uh, her uh, struggles with uh, substance abuse. And uh, she would always play that when she came to Montreal, and she would dedicate it to Len. And, uh, of course, he would always always be there. And uh, actually, Thursday, when I found out uh, that, uh, that Len had passed away, I, uh, I went and dug out the record, and I listened to The Crossing, like, most of the day, actually. And I, I, and I wrote the lyrics down, and I started learning how to sing it, because I had never, I didn't know the lyrics, you know. Mm. So uh, that was kind of how I uh, spent my, my day. But... Um, I don't know. I mean, definitely uh, the whole Sheila thing was uh, was a great one of my musical highlights, actually. And you know, Len gave me that. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of anything else right mm-hmm. now off the top of my head. It's a privilege. But uh, yeah, it was something else. But now it's gone. Did you go hear the? <laughs> did you hear her on Friday? No, I wasn't there. No, no. You? No, but 
Thursday, he hung out at upstairs all day waiting for Sheila to arrive. Yeah. And that was the day I had a sound check and a rehearsal with Ingrid. Okay. So he... He just was so excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had not seen him that excited since Sheila's last visit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but he was just like, oh, Sheila's coming in, and we're coming to your show tonight, and we're going to sit there, and yeah. I have a reservation for seven people, yeah. including Monique and Sheila and Dorothy Berryman, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. all his favorite girls <laughs> in one night. And Maria Schneider, too. And Maria Schneider was the yeah. night before or something. No, no, really no wonder he was lit up. He was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Which, But was he still at the closest to the stage? chair though <laughs> he actually sat a little closer yeah. well, well that's the, the, the only the other time the, the only time when I wouldn't see him sitting at the end of the bar upstairs is when he was with like uh, his, his yeah. daughters or whatever yeah, yeah. and then he would sit at, then they would sit yeah, at the table, table right, right, in right front. next to his right. chair yeah. Yeah, right. yeah they were all there right. yeah yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing you know I'm, 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 I don't know I'm really stuck on this in the last couple of days it's that you know <clears throat> people like Len um, uh Put all this time into supporting the music, spend all their, you know, go to sound checks, take pictures, um, come to all the shows, and write reviews and all that stuff. And, and as you know, as you guys know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of work. There's uh, not too much money in it, <laughs> let's just say. You know, and I mean, you know, Len never really expected much from it. Mm. And uh, I can remember being young and, 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 uh, and, uh, pissed off about something or you know uh either a gig didn't go how i went or people were talking or whatever just normal me stuff and uh you know i might say something kind of aggressive about something and it just never phased lynn he's just like sort of i don't know somehow beyond that and uh when i think about all that time that he put in and uh you know maybe he you know he really expected was maybe a, a free cup of coffee or something or you know yeah or a place at the bar you know which is really you know not a whole lot you know? um i i i think and 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 going back to the crossing and the sentiments expressed in the song it uh you know for people who are who uh listen to the show regular listeners to the show he always uh gave um a special he would thank everybody at the end of the show and uh and at the end a special personal thanks to bill w which as people might or might not know is uh Bill W. is the man who founded Alcoholics Anonymous in yes. the same year that, that Len was born in 1935. And, um, you know, Len had been through that whole experience, and, and uh, he was uh, genuinely um, appreciative and, you know, grateful of each and every day that he had uh, in sobriety uh, since 1995. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think I mentioned it earlier in the program, but I was I was talking to somebody, you know, the last just after the last conversation I had with Len, we were talking about Len and saying, you know, this is a man as the last ten, twelve years of his life have been fantastic, and and all of the it seemed like the 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 you know the sort of work that he had done just that he was um, that he would just do because he was he, he loved the music and he cared about it so much it was some of that was starting to come back to him in a financial sense but also more important I think more important to Len would be in the people sense of the term and he was really grateful yeah. that, that he was sober and that he could appreciate all of that that, that happened to him in, in, in the last 10 or 12 years and and uh, you know, so when when you hear uh, Sheila talking about the crossing, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a very very mm-hmm. deep thing, and it's well, a heard, very important thing for I him. I heard Sheila and Lynn both say, you know, this music saved my life, just like just like that, exactly. You know, yeah. Um, it could, you know, it can always be, you know, people find what they need to find when they need to find it. You know, it's not all. It can be one thing for one person, another thing <laughs> for another. 
Um, but of course, for us uh, that are all involved in music, I mean, it's it's a it's it's an amazing thing to hear, and uh, and in small in, in a small way, collectively, we're all part of that. You know, there's a there's a bit at the end of that song where Sheila says, "If you're wondering what the crossing means for me, it's the love I feel." Oh, I can't remember. It's a love I feel when I'm singing for you. The spirit of the music sets me free. You know, and for Len, it's, it could be replaced. It's like it's, it's the love that he feels when we're playing for him. The spirit of the music sets him free. You know, and they really um, is a massive part of their lives. And it, it did help them uh, sort of continue on as it, you know, in other ways does us. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, we want to play um, one track. We're going to play The Crossing. That's going to be the last song that we play here <coughs> this afternoon. Um, but uh, we wanted to play, uh, I think, one track from the Sheila recording. And also another track of yours. So maybe you could talk about what we're going to play, and then we'll go into it. Uh, the One of mine? Embraceable You oh. we're going to play. I, think, yeah, I picked that one because it's the one standard uh, I have on that CD. And, of course, like Tom said in his letter, you know, of course, Len loved original music. But, you know, it was partial, especially because of his age and everything. He was partial to the standards, you know, as yeah. a lot of people are. So uh, that's the one tune I put, uh, one standard on my record, Embraceable You. And I remember that he he commented on that. But also, he wrote the liner notes on that CD, so that's kind of special for me. And, you know, as, as, as things happen the way they happen, because we're all so busy and wrapped up in ourselves, I guess, I read the liner notes today, you know. I, probably the last time I, le- I read those is when, you know, uh, the record came out, probably at the launch, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know. You think, well, you know, I could have checked that out before, I guess, you know. But anyway, I read them today, so that's why I brought it, just kind of. Okay, and the other one uh, from Sheila? Um, I don't remember a whole lot about the tune itself, um, but uh, I remember the session. We had a great time. We did two days at Upstairs, and uh, they recorded live from there, and it was just a ball. This is where she's improving and um, referring to the oh, things you're talking about her, the, it's the blues. Yeah, Sheila's oh, okay. blues. Yeah, 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 she just would pick stuff out of the audience or whatever was happening and make up lyrics about it. And, okay. uh, and uh, it's always fun. It happened to be Valentine's Day that day, so she talks about that. And, yeah, I, I should just say, I don't know if there's people listening that have not seen Sheila Jordan perform live, but it's really special. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really a trip. So I guess we'll go to Steve Embraceable Miro. You, Steve Amiro. And with uh, Sean Connolly on bass and uh, Tony Moreno on drums. And this is uh, from the album uh, Reflecting Images. And when did it cut? 97? Yeah, very good. Yeah, not too bad, eh? Wow. And, uh, yeah, on New Jazz Records. And uh, then we'll hear from, on Just In Time, uh, Sheila Jordan live at Upstairs uh, with Steve Amiro on piano. Who else is on the session, do you call? On uh, the Sheila thing, it's yeah. Andre White on drums. Yep. And uh, Kieran Overs on bass. Okay, yeah. and uh, we'll play Sheila's Blues. Thank you. 
Everybody out there still seeking where they want to go. You find the place I know. Follow your dream. Hard as it may seem, I followed mine. I'm doing fine. Worked since I was 17 Till I was 58 Oh, but I ain't got no hate I got to singing at that age But I always supported the music Well, there's just a little story that I want But before I do, there's something that I gotta tell you. You've been so nice. I wish I could kiss you all twice. By the way, yesterday or the day before was Valentine's Day. Now, if you're sitting with your girlfriend, And you didn't give her a chocolate or a rose. See me, see me, see me, see me, gentlemen. After the show, I got some chocolate hearts just to give to you so you can give them to your true love. She'll be happy And she won't be mad Because you forgot that day Hey, hey, what do you say? Whoa Yeah, yeah, yeah Hey, I'm really serious I don't want to take them because if I eat them, I'm going to get fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter. Well, I was born in Detroit, Michigan, back in 1928. Whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. Born in Detroit, Michigan, November the 18th, 1928, Mickey Mouse's birthday. My mother, she was only 16 years old and she couldn't raise me. So she sent me to live with my grandparents in a small coal mining town in Pennsylvania State. I grew up with the coal miners singing in the beer garden every Saturday night. The miners used to sit around and drink their beer and whiskey, sing their songs. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Really, 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 really
I just had an angioplasty. Did they ever fight? You know what an angioplasty is. They clean out your arteries and it makes you have more breath. That's the reason I held on to that note as long as I did. And you know, everybody, I ain't no kid. Hanging out at the club today. Oh, that was everybody's scene. You didn't have to be 21 years old to get in there. It was just a place for kids to play and sing. Well, we were always chasing Charlie Parker. He wrote that song for us, chasing the bird. Sing it, bird, 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 bird. When he used to play at the club Elsino, where you had to be 21 years old to get in, I used to forge my mother's birth certificate, and I wore a hat with a veil. High heel shoes that were killing my feet. Smoking my lucky strike cigarettes. Boy, I thought I was so hip. But the man at the door said, Hey, kid, kid, you better go home and do your homework. What a drag for a 14 year old kid that loved jazz. Bird knew we were there And he opened up the door And he played his heart out for me Oh, what a treat, what a treat, what a treat, what a treat, what a treat What a treat for a 14-year-old kid That loved jazz today If it wasn't for jazz music 
would be a lot of days Because back when I was just a skinny little teenager By the nickname of Jeannie Dawson Running down on John R. Trying to buy all those 78 records So I could hear all those bebop musicians I wouldn't be up here at 79 years old Singing for you tonight Sheila Jordan from her album Winter Sunshine on Just In Time recorded live at Upstairs uh, came out last year uh, with uh, Sheila Jordan singing Sheila's Blues and uh, on the album uh, playing with her uh, Steve Amiro on piano, Kieran Overs on bass and Andre White on drums before that we heard uh, Steve Amiro from his 1997 recording Reflecting Image uh, on the new jazz label and uh, that was uh, with Steve Amiro on piano, um, Tony Marino on drums, Sean Conley on bass and uh, it was embraceable you uh, for Len Dobbin. We had Steve uh, in here before us, Drew. That's right. And um, we just want to remind you, you're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. It's about uh, quarter to three here. And uh, this is edition 737, a uh, tribute to Len Dobbin, who uh, passed away last week. Um, for those of you that might have just tuned in, we um, located um, this week's show and have slowly worked our way through. Some the of first the tracks half that hour wanted <laughs> us to play, um, and we were doing our best. But as we said at the beginning, we certainly weren't going to. We didn't know how it was going to go. But um, we have uh, some wonderful guests coming up uh, in this final hour or so. So do stay tuned. Wanted to remind you that there's been a phone line set up to uh, leave messages. Um, Memories and anecdotes and whatever you like about Len uh, here at CKUT. And um, those messages will uh, be broadcast a little later on in uh, the month. The number is 514-448-4041. The extension is 2547. As well on Facebook, there are um, there's a um, dedication to Len's um, memory um, Len news group, group uh, yeah. set up. Yeah. So you can also check that out. Um, Len had a lot of friends, uh, and uh, among obviously, which were surrounded by, <laughs> which were surrounded by quite a, some of them, a, a fair number of them right now. Uh, um, and he also knew a lot of people, obviously, in the uh, among jazz journalists, broadcasters, and so on. And uh, yesterday afternoon, I had the opportunity to uh, speak on the phone with uh, James Hale, uh, who uh, was uh, is a jazz journalist in Ottawa. Uh, currently with uh, writing for Downbeat and Signal to Noise magazine and who uh, knew Len for about the last 20 years and uh, anyway he, he shared some thoughts with me yesterday about Len. So James I, how long how long did you know Len? When did, where did you first meet him? Well you know I, I knew Len before I actually met him. I mean I, I knew his work so well and, and I knew him through friends of mine like Ron Sweetman and John Jackson here in Ottawa. I mm-hmm. think you know I was trying to think of this yesterday. I think I met Len about 1992 or maybe 1993, and he came to the Ottawa Jazz Festival uh, to see somebody, and and that was the first time I met him. Okay, what uh, of his work? Uh, you know, what struck you most that you admired most about what he did? 
I think the thing with Len was that you know he, he had so much respect from from musicians who who were kind of uh, loath to give respect to to most jazz journalists, uh, particularly Paul Blay. I mean, the fact that he had uh, um, you know Paul's respect uh, really said a lot about about Len's integrity. I think, and and the fact that that you know they went way back, and and, and Len was. Uh, you know, had that had that perspective on the on, on the Montreal scene. Um, you know, just the fact that, that you know Len respected him, so I thought meant meant an awful lot to to uh, to uh, to me. Hmm. Hmm. Um, have you got any sort of favorite Len stories? Everybody's got a Len story. I mean, one of the things that I always liked about him was he always had a joke, even if it wasn't particularly funny. He always had a joke. <laughs> he had a he had a story to tell about somebody, and he always had some kind of a, a, a piece of information that he wanted to pass along. Well, you know, he had so many stories about about musicians, especially musicians in the in the fifties, people like Coleman Hawkins. You know, the thing with Len was that he was so self-deprecating. I mean, you know, it's a sort of typical thing: everyone's standing around telling stories about jazz musicians, and it's kind of a you know, everyone's trying to top each other. And Len, Len never participated in those kinds of games, you know. He was always, he was, his stories always had more to do about the music and the personalities and the music than it had to do with, you know, the fact that he happened to be there at any particular time. And I think the other thing about Len was that he was very self-aware about his own life, you know. Uh, he was very upfront about saying, you know, about his alcoholism and how he had beaten his problem and the fact that, you know, uh, he'd gone through a lot of hard times and, and, and come out the other end, and he was really proud of that. Uh, I thought that was, that was a great thing about Len, was that he was, he was a really self-aware person, and he made you feel that, I don't know, just that, just that someone who had that kind of perspective on their own life you know, was worth knowing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you think of Len, what's the first thing you think of? Oh, man, I think of his smile. <laughs> I think of his smile and his hugs, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> Len was just such a warm guy. You know, you would meet him. If you hadn't seen Len, and, you know, because I uh, I wasn't in Montreal all that often, I, I might not. I might go a couple of years or three years without seeing Len. And as soon as he saw you, man, it was that smile and a big hug. And he'd say, hey, what are you listening to, you know? And I was like, let's go hear something good. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody like Len dies, and it's like, uh, uh, three guys that, that I that that I know, th- you know, partly through land and partly not through land, but w- that were all close to land that I hadn't seen or talked to each of them in two or three or four years, and it's like, you know, it's all happening today, you know, and it's well, that's that's kind of a sad thing about these things that takes that to to, to bring people like us together again. <laughs> And, you and kick your own ass and say, you know, hey, we should see each other more often. Well, that's that's precisely it. I I, um, I only knew I only knew Len after he got sober. Um, Me too. And and so and and it was kind of interesting because I think the perspective, and I'm not really sure uh, about. Uh, where to go with it on the air because uh, I, I actually spent uh, a fair bit of time with him at at AA meetings back when mm-hmm. when we both used to go quite a lot yeah. and and uh, and I think because it was interesting to me that you know when I started writing about jazz there were huge gaps in my jazz education uh, I remember one time asking him who Terry Clark was and he didn't he, he wasn't condescending at all when he answered me. Oh, no. You know, yeah. when he told me, it was just like he must, he, you know, he, he made it, this guy's writing about jazz and he doesn't know who Terry Clark is, but he never made you feel that that's the way he felt. 
and such a gracious man and just so generous with his knowledge and, ha- and so much of it, too, you know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, well, you know, it's part of that self-deprecation of calling himself friend to jazz. But he really was. He was, he was just like, he loved the music so much and it was never about him. It was always about, oh, you know, what can I turn you on to? Or, you know, you should check this person out. And it was never, you know, I know this person and you don't, or I- I've heard this and you haven't. It was always like, you know, I'd love to share this with you. Exactly. That was, that was the whole thing. Huge heart. I was huge, just, huge spirit. Yeah. And and I was just saying, the last time I saw him was uh, Monday evening, and uh, we were in a conversation with this guy, David Paluzzi, Paluzzi? Mm-hmm. from Jazz Is. He's like a, a features editor there. And uh, they were talking about uh, doing a photo uh, a piece with some of Len's photos. And, uh, and you know, so they're going doing a photo essay and blah, blah, blah. They were talking like this. And you know how the conversations, it's, you know, a bunch of people walking around to a couple of gigs and so mm-hmm. on. And... and uh, and, and I, I, I and then Ann Braithwaite was there as well, and I'm you know talking to Ann and David after Leonard walked off. I, I said you know that's there's a guy that has had a really really great you know winter of his life. You know the last ten years were just filled with uh, you know so many good things for Len. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was always just sort of shaking his head about it and saying, "Geez, I can't, I can't believe you know uh, that Dorothy and I are friends, and you know this is happening and that's happening. I'm doing this thing at the upstairs, and yeah, he was just like so positive about everything that was going on in his life." Oh yeah, I remember. I, I remember him, uh, when when Dorothy started when Dorothy hired him to do research for, which he'd been doing anyway, right? He would have done it for free just because he liked Dorothy and he cared mm-hmm. about that, you know, and and. Uh, he he told me one night at upstairs we were standing there and he says you know I got I got a check from the CBC you know <laughs> <laughs> and I said oh really that's great and he said yeah I asked him uh, uh, you know I asked Dorothy what it was all about and she said well it's 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 for doing research and he said so I looked at it he said it was a nice check I said well is this for a month and she says no it's for a week <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know it's led didn't take himself too seriously you know just just uh, and not it wasn't for the money he would have done that stuff anyway he would have done Absolutely. all of that stuff anyway and yeah. and and uh you know that's that's and when you when you start talking about him, sure you're sad that he's gone, but you start talking about him and and it's you know the laughs come right away, you know. And, well, he, as you said, he had a great a great last ten years or so, and and uh, I mean he he would be the first person to say that you know he dodged a lot of bullets. Yeah, he could have been dead a long time ago. Oh yeah, yeah, and he was the you know the thing was he was truly grateful. For every day that he was sober, yeah, know. you know, and, and all of the good things that happened to him in those years since then. And 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 uh, I know that that meant a lot. And, and you know, I feel I'm going to I'm going to miss him. Everybody's going to miss him very much. But I mean, you know, what a great way to go too for him. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, and absolutely. At, you know, there uh, to ha- to have, you know, had it happen at upstairs. And then, you know, Joel was there to, to, to accompany him to the hospital and. Mm-hmm. And and that you know that to know that he was being taken care of by people who loved him in his last moments was like it means so much to me to know that you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. The only the saddest thing for me is like how long it's been since I, I've seen him. I, I was thinking back the other day. I think it's probably maybe five years. Right. I know I had a the JJ threw a party at upstairs um, during one of the jobs. Yeah, a bit of about five years ago. Anyway, yeah, yeah I was there. And yeah, I think that was the last time I saw him. Yeah. You know, yeah. because then he was sick there for a year or so, and mm-hmm. and he he wasn't coming up to Ottawa, and I wasn't going to Montreal, and just haven't haven't seen him in a long time. And we you know we we emailed back and forth occasionally, but that's that's how it is. Right, right, yeah.
any particular uh, song that you would like us to play in Len's memory? Well, I think anything by the, the people he he truly loved, uh, you know, Paul Blay or Pepper Adams. I mean, you know, the, the thing about Len is that he had really big ears, you know. He he could hear everything, you know. It was, you know, as a guy who came up in the 40s and 50s, he, he, he definitely wasn't tied to that era. He was always interested in, in new stuff. So I think any good music is going to pay honor to Len. James, that's really great. Thanks a lot. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. 
private recording from Cisco Norma entitled Pat's Trick. That was written by Stan Patrick, uh, who was featured on piano, Bob Rudd on bass, Andre Perry on drums, uh, Fred Hamilton. Um, excuse me, I'm just, uh, I have this private recording, and it's written in Cisco's handwriting, and he's put these little icons next to everything to explain who's on the tracks. Um, Stan Patrick uh, piano, Bob Rudd bass, Fred Hamilton bass. Uh, no, that's not right. I'll have to excuse my uh, ineptitude on this track. Can't get that. It's not unclear. I'm sorry. Um, the reason I played that, though, is uh, Cisco was a very, very tight friend of uh, Len's, and um, he passed last year, and um, it was difficult. I think uh, Len felt that was uh, really a hard one to mm-hmm. uh, get past, and... Um, so I, uh, I I managed to get a hold of uh, someone who had some of these recordings, and I just wanted to get that one track in. Um, but he's quite uh, talented, Cisco. I mean, he played keyboards, he played drums, he he, he did everything. Again, I, I'm very sorry about not being able to give you the uh, proper track listing here, but it's not quite clear. You're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. My name is Drew Duncan. I'm here with uh, co-host Mike Chamberlain. This is edition 737 of Len's Den, a tribute to Len Dobbin. It's five after three. And uh, we have some live music for you. Yeah, as uh, promised, we'd, we have uh, Joel Miller and uh, Christine Jensen and, and Dave Rishpan. And uh, Joel was uh, uh, telling a story. Maybe you could set it up for us, Joel. What are you going to do? Well, I had a, a show at Upstairs, and uh, I can't remember exactly the occasion, but I prepared a bunch of music for the show, and I learned this song off of a tape that I had, and I didn't actually have the, uh, the composer or the, any information about the band. But I really loved this song, and I prepared it to, to play it up, at Upstairs. And, um, and it's funny now thinking about it, because me, I, I, it seems like I was almost just uh, you know, wanting to get an answer from Len. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway um, so w- we, did, we performed this song at Upstairs, and uh, afterwards I, I, I announced it, and I, I said the title. And, uh, and then... And I and then I just put the question out there. I, I don't actually know the composer, and Len was in the audience, and well, he was in his in his chair that he always sat in at upstairs, and he said, "It's by Tom Jones." <laughs> and and, and uh, all of us sort of looked at each other. Okay, Tom Jones, and then we just continued on. So I brought this chart here today, um, and uh, I figured we would play it. And uh, you did confirm as, this, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Even though you were questioning the, uh, authority. <laughs> To confirm the uh, lens uh, composer, and and anyway, I, I um, as Dave Rishpan. Well, why are you just saying that you out, don't trust Len? <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom Jones, come on. Well, when you hear it, you won't think Tom Jones. Okay. But uh, uh, Dave Dave Rishpan um, confirmed, and we he went on to iTunes or. Uh, I can't remember exactly where, I, and and yes, in fact, it is Tom Jones who composed this well. piece. But as as Dave mentioned, and it's quite interesting that we have to go and check out and uh, and read somewhere, you know, who this is. But Len knew instantly just by hearing it <laughs> who who it was, and uh, I thought it was Count Basie or Duke Ellington. That's what I wrote on the chart. But it's We're song, hear it's a really here. pretty song, and it's called "Soon It's Gonna Rain." Ready? Soon 
beautiful. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a, that's a nice story. I like that you questioned authority. That's the jazz police, you know? I mean, <laughs> why wouldn't it be Tom Jones? But, it, I mean, that would be the last person I would but think dare of. dare I say, that was kind of unusual for a Tom Jones song. Uh. <laughs> I bet he's never heard it with a melodica. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming Thank in. You. Wonderful. Um, we have a um, Pepper Adams uh, track to uh, play here, and um, it's dedicated to Len. And um, Pepper, of course, uh, being probably Len's you know, closest friend in, friend in terms of uh, musicians. So um, let's just listen to this, and then we'll be back with uh, DJ uh, Andy Williams, who has uh, given up his time in this slot uh, for us to um, share this memorial uh, tribute to Len. Thank you. 
That is the track Dobbin by uh, Pepper Adams from the album Conjuration Fat Tuesday Session, recorded in uh, August of 1983 at Fat Tuesdays in New York City with uh, Pepper Adams, the man who wrote that piece, uh, for Len Dobbin on baritone saxophone, Kenny Wheeler on trumpet, Hank Jones on piano, Clint Houston on bass, and uh, Lewis Hayes on drums. It's uh, 3.15, and we've got about another 45 minutes uh, on the... Uh, 737th edition of Dobbin's Den. I'm Mike Chamberlain with Drew Duncan, and uh, we've got a that few was more a totally guests. Dobbin track. Yeah, absolutely, it, 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 it kind of distills all the elements that Len was. That sound it absolutely defines him. Yeah, um, a couple of people have given up their uh, their uh, time slots this afternoon. Um, modular systems as well as the goods uh, in order for us to be able to do this extended broadcast and. Um, uh, one of the uh, co-hosts of uh, The Goods is here, Andy Williams, and uh, Andy just had a few thoughts about Len. I'm sorry that it's uh, so crammed at the end here, but... That's all right. Um, go ahead, if you had a, yeah, a good well, Len story, or maybe you, well, somewhere not, you encountered good, him. It's not a good Len story. It's just that i got to pay, pay, um, pay tribute to this man, because when I first came here as an import from Toronto in 1994, Len was one of the first people I met, actually. And um, I, I always remain a jazz head, but I'm also into disc jockeying as you know like playing dance floor music but I'd always have these interesting conversations with Len um, and I for one thing I, uh, I was amazed by his memory I was very impressed with that <laughs> here goes um, the nods again yeah. um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, be, I'd be on the radio and um, you know with Sean Moore as you know Sean Moore and I yes. we, we're, we're avid jazz listeners and we you know, we try you were keen. <laughs> we, we're trying to collect 10,000 records in probably three years of every jazz thing we could find in the city and sometimes we'd make mistakes on the radio, you know. We'd say, well, you just heard a track by Dexter Gordon in 1946, and then the phone would ring. And, and it'd, be, it'd be Len Dobbin, and he'd go, well, Andy, that was 1945. <laughs> you know, so... I was saying he's got a bit of the Phil Schapp thing yeah, happening there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, you know, I got to know him quite well, and then I remember once we had this great little walk with um, Sheila Jordan. I was just going down to Tyndall St. George, and I was the educational coordinator at the time down at Tyndall. 
So it was my lunch break, and I ran into both of them, and those two were chatting like they're like on Coronation Street, <laughs> but it was all about jazz. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, and, you know, I was like, man, this guy really loves... I thought I was a jazz lover. I thought, you know... But when I listened to those two talk, and, you know, and I was out of the picture. I was like the third wheel, but it was just so good being in that... You know, it was like I think it inspires us to listen yeah. more and to constantly pursue more. It was just like one of these great portals to be in. It's like being Len Dobbin as opposed to being John John Malkovich. It was just like <laughs> I was a fly on I was a fly on the wall. So um, I remember at one time I went to his house and um, you know, as you guys know, the records were also part of the furniture, and he just pulled stuff out and we just talk and listen to it and and um, I was just questioning myself about late modern jazz, early... So I got a quick um, lesson in probably about 45 minutes on, on what jazz really is. So I was like, oh, you know what? I better go back to the books. <laughs> I better stop p- p- picking up my books, and if I'm going to do this radio show properly, I'm going to do it right. So what I'm getting at is that this guy was so well-refined in his jazz, even down to his, um, his sheets, as we all know, were proper. And hats off to him. He's going to be sadly missed. And, um, you know, rest in peace. Thanks, Andy. Thanks. I appreciate it, and I, we appreciate uh, having the time to stretch out here. Yeah. Your thoughts are uh, really uh, beautiful. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of nodding here. We all understand. Yeah. Let 
nothing left for me to say And so I'll close But by the way Everybody's thinking of you Dorothy Berryman with the title track from her album P.S. I Love You featuring Greg Clayton on guitar, Eric Harding on piano, Dave Watts on bass, and Camille Bellil on drums. You're listening to CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. This is the 737th edition, uh, memorial edition of Dobbin's Den. Um, our uh, final guests uh, this afternoon are um, three people that uh, are incredibly close to uh, Len. Monique Fauteur and um, Dorothy Berryman and Joel, and I forget how to say your last name. Kiberovich. Monsieur Giberovich. Giberovich. These are uh, three um, really crucial people in Len's life. And um, earlier on in the afternoon, um, people gathered over at Upstairs. Um, which Joel manages and runs and owns, and uh, discussed with Len's family um, 
how to um, send land out in style uh, with one concrete idea as opposed to perhaps um, numerous um, different tributes. Um, so we're going to talk briefly about uh, perhaps what uh, was gained from that meeting, but uh, perhaps you'd like to talk and uh, just... Um, I have a question. Have thoughts, I have a question uh, for Joel. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, have you got the nameplate for Lance Chair made? Where we've actually talked about it, and we're working on it right now. And uh, you know, Len is a uh, Len. You know, I've been we've been talking with you know his three daughters, and uh, he he's he's this public figure, you know, and he's someone that is so well known, and you know, the family really needs time to grieve, and I think. A lot of his very close personal friends need time to grieve, and then you have the other side of Len that you know everyone just wants to know what's going on and show their support. And I think it's a little bit difficult because you have to react so quickly um, to people, um, and people, everyone is mourning. I think that uh, I think that the amazing thing about this is that I mean I just miss him, like I miss him already, and I just think that you know he was just he was so present in my life for the last 14 years. Uh, I saw him pretty much every day I would say you know uh, and uh, he was his home he would walk into upstairs and hey Len how you doing and you know he'd you know have his usual food and just hang out and you know he'd always clear his own plate you know he never wanted us to serve him you know it was it was his home you know it wasn't anything like other his than living that. room he put up his feet and relaxed and uh, took it upon as his own yeah you know and I know you know Len's you know uh, you know friend to jazz and you know he's this encyclopedia of knowledge and he's just uh, but for me also it was it was so beyond that it was just this like close personal friend that you know I didn't imagine my life without him I thought he was kind of going to be around forever um, I never really thought of his mortality and uh, you know last year he was obviously um, not uh, not not feeling well, and and I still didn't think about it. I still knew he would get through it. Uh, I don't know why. And uh, this time when it happened, uh, I just knew I knew he wouldn't. And it's just it's it's a shock, you know. And uh, you know, I I, I miss him uh, incredibly. And uh, I think that uh, you know the only you know the only the the only thing that I can really you know f- well, I'm just happy that um you know it happened uh with us around and 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 with his friends and family around and had his favorite bar stool you know getting ready to listen to music and i'm happy that my hands were around him and taking care of him because you know i just, uh, just we're here with there's three people here that uh saw len in his uh last moments it's uh, we're very lucky to have you here um, would you want to um, briefly allude to uh, anything that was, you know, that developed this afternoon regarding the memorial? Well, would we, should we hold off on that? It's up to you. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, um, for me personally, obviously. Um, I should say celebration, really. I don't mean memorial as it's going to be fun and I think there'll be plenty of people there. It's Well, for, for me personally, I think that, uh, you know, uh, Len's family wants to have um, a celebration um, and one night of a celebration and obviously for me um you know um upstairs is obviously too small so um we got together with the family and we were actually listening to your uh you know to this last show and uh you know um andre menard from the jazz festival was there and obviously the three kids and all of us and you know uh, the memorial or the celebration will actually be on sunday august 9th and we're actually going to do kind of a two-tier thing because um more details about that will be released tomorrow uh, at the uh, jazz festival press conference um and then um around his birthday 
mm-hmm. um, uh-huh. which mm-hmm. is February 23rd. Yeah. What we're going to do um, is we're going to um, have a festival to celebrate Len's friends wow. at Upstairs. Beautiful. So, uh, you know... Um, I'm shivering. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just, that's it, it, that feels, you know, the right way to do it. So, you know, uh, in February, you know, we'll, we'll obviously present series and, you know, um, all work on that together, I think. And, you know, his seat will be there and it'll be, it won't be empty because he's going <laughs> to be there, you know, and he's going to be listening and, you know, he's going to have his coffee and he's going to, you know, be, be listening and tapping his feet. And, you know, that'll be a really great way to celebrate Len. Our other guest in the studio is uh, Monique Fauteux and, um, uh, Monique and I um, met through Len um, carting boxes and helping him out and uh, I was just like I, I was always amazed at all the people that would come through for him and uh, help him out and uh, he um, waxed poetic so much about your vocal uh, stylings and um, I just thought maybe you'd like to share a few thoughts about Len and uh, say whatever you'd like uh. He was really generous in that uh, regard I would say really and very very encouraging very um he, he he liked to to to, to promote uh, if something was happening. Uh, he he often spoke here on the show of uh, of up, upcoming events, uh, whether it upstairs or uh, you know anywhere else regarding music and it, where I was concerned. But I I learned I learned so much from him just sitting at the bar at, at upstairs and traveling with him. We traveled to uh, with Dorothy as well. We traveled. This is to, what I uh, wanted to hear about. Maybe just Burlington, a brief thing about Vermont seeing and, a show with him. Yes, oh, how wonderful. And uh, also, we were mentioning something about sometimes being a little shy of going backstage. And uh, I have, and Len, if you said you knew somebody up there, he would say, Oh, yes, okay, come, come with me. Yeah. And I had, uh, I had been part of a, a workshop and uh, musicians working with Diane Reeves in a concert in Burlington were, uh, were, were putting the, their instruments away, basically. And he said, Come on. He says, You know them. Let's go backstage. And I said, oh, well, I don't know. He finally made his way. He made our way through there, and we, we went and spoke with everyone, and it was just uh, so delightful. And uh, he's, he was just like a, a person who opened that, that door, but with a very, um, une delicatesse, um, very uh, great respect and... Uh, sensitivity. Sensitivity, and I would say, ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Diplomacy. Also, yeah, very, very much so. And uh, he sensed if you were a person who was maybe shy to do that, or and he would... He would help you along the way, and uh, yeah. Any music or discoveries that uh, you can link directly to him? Artists that you might have discovered or never known about? A song that just stays. There are too many. (laughs) As the uh, gentleman who spoke earlier, uh, there'd be uh, a a disc ready for you every Tuesday. I I thought I knew a little bit, you know, about jazz, but finally uh, I I discovered a whole, like you know, a point of, of the iceberg, as we as we'd say. Uh, there was so much more that I, di- I wasn't aware of and so many people from here also th- that I didn't know all, all that well and I'm just so happy to have discovered them and also a cousin, Jean Limburner, who spoke yes. earlier. Mm-hmm. We are cousins and I had no idea that Lenin and him knew each other for all these years with the uh, New the Jazz Society, Society, the Eminon, and yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, and he invited me grace, you know, uh, graciously to 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 be part of the uh, of their meetings, which I thought was really, really something else. He, that, that's you know, I think that's interesting because Len, um, you met Len, and all of a sudden everything just multiplied, and we all met each other. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. many people met mm-hmm. through that, and I mean that is that's such. I think that's wonderful. Someone bringing people together, common interests, and just that enthusiasm. I I, I still uh, remark on his enthusiasm for music, and uh, it was boyish and. 
people retire at 65. They do nothing after he, I mean, went to the end. And he could have been 90 and he would have done that. He just, he never lost that. And uh, I, I think that's we wonderful. See three, we saw three, she, three shows a day at the festival. Yeah. Every year and uh, and t- till the end. Yeah. But at this, you know what? Everybody, everybody Just for talks our listeners, about. This is, uh, this is Dorothy Berryman. Oh, I'm speaking. sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Welcome to the show. No, I wanted to make sure people knew who it was. Yes. No, but uh, everybody talks about how deep his knowledge was. But another quality that impressed me was when you asked him something, you, you and he didn't know the answer. He said, I don't know. And I thought that was wonderful. He didn't pretend to know everything either. No. You know, and he never answered when he wasn't sure of the answer. Right. So that was, that was a great quality. And another thing about going backstage, since we weren't able to see all the shows we were planning to see this year at the festival, Len and I, for the last shows where I was supposed to go with Len, I invited Monique to come with me. Yes. And we saw the, the Newport uh, All-Star stars George Ween's Newport Oil stars together and um, I mentioned to Monique after the show uh, Len would so much want to be here because Lou Tabakin the sax player was also a friend of Pepper's and of Len's and after the show I said to Monique you know I'm too shy to go backstage and Monique said come on I'll be your Len tonight <laughs> so she takes me backstage <laughs> we go meet Lou Tabakin and it happens that he doesn't know how to get out of uh, Place des Arts and there's so many people there that he needs to to know the way underground. So we decided to escort him to the to to his hotel, and we're going up this elevator and this escalator. And I tell Monique and Lou because oh yes, I should have prefaced this. Len always called Monique and I his guardian angels. Oh, so we're we're in the the escalator, and it dawns on me that Len had just sent us on a mission, you know, to help Lou Tabakin to get back to his hotel. Very nice. I that was so it was uh, and and we got the great 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 gift to be there you know till his last breath that's something that's something that I can't uh, you know I'm very very grateful of I I, you know that that uh, we were there with with the daughters and with Joel and with Monique until the last moment because even though he was uh, clinically dead I know he knew and he he gave us that uh, gift could you um, briefly tell me about the first time you met Len and how you got to know each other oh boy oh boy (laughs) (laughs) he he I think the first time, it's because we, we didn't always agree on that story, but for me, <laughs> I'll have to tell my side I'm of the be story. One version <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we met um, at, at a press conference at the Jazz Festival. That's the first time I, I was aware of him. And uh, he found uh, my first CD, um, Lost at the Mirror. <laughs> And he was attracted first by the picture, he tells me. <laughs> and then uh, the fact that there were songs that people did, didn't do very often attracted him, you know, like uh, You Fascinate Me So and stuff like that. So that's how he listened to it. And then he came to see shows. And then uh, we got to know uh, each other uh, outside of uh, the professional realm. And we started, uh, you know, hanging together and seeing shows and uh, traveling together. And the, the first time we traveled together actually was to see 
um, Sheila Jordan in New York for her birthday. She right. was playing the jazz the 80th standard. Birthday, I think it was. Was, that, was her 80th birthday? Was 75th. it? Seventy uh, fifth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that must be and uh, we went to Ottawa together to Burlington to Tanglewood also with Monique. And, right. But during those years, it was like um, a continuous conversation that we had. I loved to talk with Len. Just like musicians playing together, a conversation. Yes. That's very you nice. You know, and it happened every day and it happened uh, through internet and t- telephone or when we'd go have lunch together. And when Espace Music offered me to, to host a jazz show, and that was about, I, I think, three years after meeting Len, I thought that I couldn't do it without him, you know, it, it would just be that conversation that we'd been having since the beginning that we would still have. It was natural. It was real. It was re- working with a researcher, but it was in real life. It was what we did together anyway, you know. Uh, so it it was fun. And, and Len listened to every show I did. He told me when he was happy with them. He told me when he wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Too much bossa nova. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he was happy when uh, sometimes I played music that he didn't know of. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of exchanges. And, oh, that song has a verse? Yeah, it does. You were, you were proud when you knew something he didn't. <laughs> Dor- Dorothy, could I, inter- could I interject? I remember uh, uh, being at Upstairs one night and just after uh, he'd started uh, working with you or w- working on the show. And, and he told me about getting a paycheck. Oh. And, and he, was, he, was, he was like a little boy. He was like... Like somebody, somebody has given me like a source of free candy forever because <laughs> he would have done the work for nothing. Yeah, you know, I mean, he loved the music, and 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 he loved the person he was working for. Yeah, that was enough. That was enough of a reward for him to be doing it. And then he told me. I remember he saying, uh, uh, "So I got this." He said, "I got this check from the CBC and I, and for for." Uh, and and I asked Dorothy. He said, uh, "What's this all about?" And she said, "Well, it's it's for uh, for working on the show." And he said, "It is like for a month." And she says. No, it's for a week. <laughs> and, and you know, when I when I when I think about Len, I only know him and you know, like you in recent years, and 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 he, you know very well that he he regarded every day uh, of, of 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 the of, of his sobriety in, in the last ten years as a gift, and, and and all of the wonderful things that happened to him, and and I know that that that, that you guys, the three of you, Joel and 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 and, uh, and Monique. Monique and and Dorothy were all a, a huge part of that, and and you. You know, he he. Ne- you know, you never got. That was always for sure. That was always a hundred percent clear. You know, and and uh, but just that that enthusiasm. He he. You know, all of the rewards, whatever financial rewards, were just. That was gravy. That didn't really. Yes, you know, that was, was not was what it was all about. It was the friendship. It yep. was the relationships. It was it was the music sharing. and the love and sharing the knowledge and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how um, did you two meet? <gasps> Len I'm talking to Monique and to uh, Dorothy. On his show yeah. that we shared the same vocal teacher. Oh, Il a oh yeah, that's stuff. true. That's true. true Lucette. A great woman. Yes, wonderful woman. Yes. And uh, he often said that, I think, on his show as well, because he, he spoke of your show and he would also mention if something if he played a song from I had like a little demo that he played a, a couple of times songs from from that little demo and uh, I thought that was just great of him to be able to do that as well and he would he would tie us in together with uh, Lucette but I, I I had met Len at, at um, the, uh, after Skip Bay passed away there was a um, 
there was a launch of a CD that he had recorded at uh, Quartier Latin. Yes. And uh, I had taken care of sending out uh, things at the, for the press, and he was at the door, and we just started talking at, uh, in, in the doorway. Uh, he and about Cole Porter. Then we we talked about Dorothy actually, and, and yes, he did like the picture on on the CD. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and I could I could still hear him say, "Beautiful, beautiful woman, <laughs> nice, nice selection of songs," and and that's how we got started. Uh, that's how we got started. We got started. It was snowing outside. We it's were in very the doorway. Good taste. <laughs> and, yes, and, and we got, just got talking about music. And he said, "You know, I, I, you're interested in Cole Porter." And, and he said, "I, you know, I could uh, introduce you to some some songs that maybe not many people know." And he came. We actually met after that for coffee, and he had a CD already with all, all kinds of titles that I had never, most of them I'd never heard of. And yeah. it was it was written. What was written? Hang up, because I've got it here. Oh, wonderful! I think it was written obscure. Um, the obscure Cole Porter, and uh, on that was one of his favorite songs, uh, in uh, down down in the depths. And he talked about that song, and I said, maybe maybe we could do that one day. So anyway, he was really inspiring for that. Joel, I think you wanted to say something there. I I, I just want to also say that uh, you know one of the things about Len and a tribute to Len is that we've had the opportunity to hang out with his three daughters um, mm. you know of recent and I think that if you want to look at the measure of a man and as much as a contribution he gave to the jazz world he's got an incredible three daughters I mean they're just yes. incredible yes, different yeah. and, and just wonderful people and you know they're mourning and they're hurting right now yet um, you know they're coming together as a family and I think it's a real tribute to the father to see what amazing daughters he has. And I think that, you know, I just, I just think, you know, just to show you what even more of an incredible human being this person was, you don't have to look far, just look at the kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And they mentioned, uh, too, uh, since his move uh, from Montreal to the South Shore, that, um, that bond grew and um, he became even more important for them. Um, I'm just going to take a, a quick minute here because we're almost out of time, but I'm going to run through the thank yous um, before we play our last track here so that it's not too rushed an affair. Um, thank yous go out to... Joel Miller, uh, Christine Jensen, Dave Rishpan, John Limber, uh, Andy Williams, <clears throat> Dorothy, of course, and Monique and Joel, David Beckett, uh, Louise Burns, Mike Chamberlain, my co-host today, uh, Noel Thomas, who came in with a wonderful interview, Rufo Valencia, who is uh, behind me, I think, Steve Amaro, uh, Mike Regenstreif, who uh, came in with some uh, beautiful stories, AJ Cornell, who is the music librarian, and of course, our tech today, Chris Hand, who does need a hand, <laughs> because he really pulled it together. Um, thanks to all of you for um, making this uh, wonderful broadcast. It, everything just seemed to happen in a very sublime way, and people just floated in, and it, <laughs> I can't believe we're, we're doing this. Yeah, um, um, like I, I've said over and over again, I'm, I'm honored and privileged to be here today. Yeah. And, and uh, to, um, you know, to be able to participate in this and, and, and share these stories about a really wonderful person and um, you know, at the end of every show, uh, uh, Len always thanked Bill W. And <laughs> personal thanks to Bill W. And uh, but I also want to say a personal thanks to Len you know, yes. for everything uh, that that he shared with all of us uh, over the years. It's just there's there's words can't express it enough. Have we got um, ten minutes or ten minutes total before the song? Ten minutes before the song. Ten minutes before oh, the song. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I think um, as we want to close with um, The Crossing by Sheila Jordan, 
perhaps we could hear from Monique and um, Dorothy and Jewel and uh, your observations on the significance of this tune to uh, Len Dobbin. Uh, would you like to start, Monique? The significance of the song? Uh, to Len. Yeah, to the Len? crossing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It must have uh, been a deep, overwhelming feeling for sure because uh, I think he and Sheila shared... Uh, um, being part of uh, AA, and uh, and and it it it, it just meant being for, for for me hearing it uh, go by. I think it the music is such a healer. Music is such a something that, that brings people together. That I think that was the main the main focus was on on, on that aspect. I, I would think because her last words are the love I feel when I'm singing for you spirit of the music moves uh, sets me free so I think that's everything happened around that the music the love of music and the way it brings people together and uh, on many levels not just professionally I would think personally Dorothy any thoughts well the first time I heard it uh, live with Len uh, well it, it brought me to tears of course Len, too, was crying. It was beautiful. Sheila has such a a capacity to be... uh, She's she's such an intimate, real singer. She communicates directly. She talks to you in your ear. I know that's a cliche, but it's true. Sincere. She is very, 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 very moving. And uh, present and funny, and you, you feel very close to her as, as an audience. And um, that's... Uh, the, it took me by surprise when I heard The Crossing the first time with Lynn. I, I, I didn't know it would draw such a, a reaction from me and from Len. And uh, I think that uh, it meant a lot to Len because it was he went through many years of uh, drinking and not taking very good care of himself. It's good that, you know, he was very proud of being sober. It's 15 years, I think 15, it was. Yeah. The, um, four, 14. Almost 14. Well, um, yeah. yeah. And he four, felt very nine, blessed for the time. He felt he, blessed, yeah. and I think yeah. he, he felt it through that song. And, of course, Sheila was, as he always said, his favorite jazz singer alive. So uh, that was important, eh, Joel? Joel, any thoughts? You know, uh, the joy... The joy that he would have uh, whenever Sheila would, would perform at the club, Len and I would go to the airport, and uh, he was like a little kid. Yeah. You know, I remember <laughs> he was like, you know, he'd always be there, you know, ready before me. Okay, are we going? Are we going? Okay. <laughs> and uh, Five minutes. I just think that, uh, you know, it's, it's really kind of surreal that uh, in this series during the Jazz Festival um, that we've had, um, Sheila performed. Mm-hmm. on Monday night and I think someone had, had talked about how Sheila was coming in a day before because they just loved each other and it was mutual it, it wasn't a one way love it was extremely mutual between the yeah. two of them and um, you know Sheila came in uh, a day later unfortunately her air- airplane was uh, cancelled and he was still in good spirits but all day long he was like just like walking around and so excited you know and he's like you know just, just so excited and uh, you know to hear the crossing for me, I mean, Sheila closes her set. Um, it's usually her encore. And I think, you know, 
if you were to dig a little bit deeper, you know, it's amazing um, that Len had the opportunity to, to see Sheila and hug Sheila and feel Sheila and listen to Sheila singing um, two days mm-hmm. before he passed away. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty unreal. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the crossing, obviously, I only knew Len um, post his alcoholism. Uh, you're right. I got to upstairs April 1995. And I guess he just... Um, um, he just he just beat it because I I only know him sober, and I never even realized. I mean, what a crazy tough thing it is to go through that to beat that and to overcome that. Mm. And I really never realized it because I never knew his his drinking before. And if you can kind of look at the last song that Sheila sang to him, dedicated to him, she dedicates the song to Len Dobbin. The crossing, you know, maybe you know, maybe it was the crossing and mm. and time for Len to just cross over and you know and. Because I just find, you know, I mean, we can dig deep and, you know, look for all these signs and whatnot. But um, I can tell you that I just think it uh, it's not a coincidence that it happened that way. I just think it's, you know, it's the way it was supposed to happen. And I think Len is the one that decided that it was going to happen. Um, and I think that uh, it's a re- real tribute to him because Len did things on his own terms. Yep. You know? <laughs> no one was going to tell Len what to do. Len, you know, Len did things on his own terms. And... Uh, I think uh, I think his presence will live on forever. You know, it's not; it won't just live on for a couple of days. I feel him so strongly, and uh, I know that I'm not alone. And it's just unreal how many people feel that way. Dave Frischman had a, a quick comment. Um, yeah, I just wanted to add something. Um, you know, and this has been sort of something that's been going around the Jazz Fest press room, which is where a lot of us saw Len last, you know, and and for me, I think it's only going to sink in next year or or once the festival is over because, you know, Len was omnipresent in the scene. He was everywhere. Every major jazz show I went to, I, I would probably expect to see Len, you know. And now that he's not in the press room and he's not going to be in his stool at upstairs, it's it's you know it's been a very surreal hang in the press room ever since we got the news. And Jamie O'Mara at our put it uh, really interestingly. He's like, I was sitting at the bar two days ago and I was talking to Len, and now I'm looking at a photo of him on the press table in memoriam, and it's you know it's. The day the news broke, um, you know, the day everybody found out, it was the weirdest feeling in the press room. Just the strangest feeling. Like, there was this energy missing and this presence missing. And I I know for me, it's not going to sink in totally for a while. Okay. Um, We're just about uh, running out of time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, I want to thank everyone that's participated in the show and... uh, have to thank Len for just being such an interesting person and uh, just um, always being there and uh, you know just so there's just uh, we don't have enough time or words to say it but uh, I think of him often and um, I will say I'm adopting his cat and I feel very yes. lucky. <laughs> so I think about Len every time I see the cat I'll, I'll, you know we're just we're just gonna miss him you know, we're just all gonna miss him. I think, and every time I, every time I uh, listen to a jazz song, I'm gonna think of Len Dobbin. Yeah, you know, that's it for edition 737 of Len's Den. This has been a memorial tribute to the late Len Dobbin. Thanks to everyone who's participated. 
the station is CKUT 90.3 FM. Um, you can send in your uh, condolences or messages or um, I got the number here. It's stories uh, to our line, and we will have those uh, available as um, announcements shortly in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, the number is 514-448-4041. The extension is 2547. And, uh, Drew, um, I want to thank you very much. Thanks, man. It's been great. Thank you very much, and thanks to Chris. This is Sheila Jordan and The Crossing. There are moments in your lifetime when the whole world seems insane. If you search beyond the madness, there is peace. Of mind to gain where there is no time or season, and there is no fear or strain. Take your troubles. To the crossing It's where joy outweighs The pain Oh The crossing Oh, the crossing It's been known by many names Some have found it through religion Putting faith in God each day When your world seems lost Shattered, and your dreams have gone astray. Never seek out self destruction. There's a crossing that can help you find your way. What a blessing it can be When you're feeling down and lonely There's an answer There's a key And for those of you who wonder what the crossing means.
It's a love I have when I'm singing for you. Oh, the spirit of the music sets me Wonderful on the bass. And Andre White. 